Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking about Rogue One, colon, a Star Wars story. Abe? Is that you? No, this is his uh, evil twin, Gabe. No! Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and I- Abe, is are you here? Hey, it's, it's, uh, it's Abe. How are you today? This isn't Aaron's uncle from the old center home. No. It's actually Larry David. Hey, how are you? Hey, you're back. Larry David. I, I am back. I am. What can I say? It's been a nice little hiatus, but I'm back. In black. <laughs> well, it's, it's good to have you back. I, uh, I heard that you held down the show. You held down the fort, you know? I was, I was holding down the fort. I had my lovely girlfriend on for a few episodes, which was great. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're uh, you're back now. We can... Uh, I am back. And, we can fulfill uh, the title, as it promises. <laughs> <laughs> as it does. It's well, good to be back. Well, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler for your review, then jump back into other fun movie topics. This is episode 267, 267. I think that uh, I predicted this to be our last episode three episodes ago. <laughs> but here we are, <laughs> moving forward. Moving forward. And uh, this week's episode, the movie we're talking about this week is Rogue One, colon, a Star Wars story. And uh, joining us today to talk Rogue One, we have, from Slash Film, he's been reprogrammed to serve the Rebellion. It's Bradford Omen. Hey, that's me. And from Naboo, he has a protective shield that covers his entire body. It's Adam Gentry. Hey, guys. How you doing? How are the two of you guys doing today? <laughs> Neither of us went first. <laughs> <laughs> no, things are good. I, I just want to say thanks for having me on. I still feel like this might be the consolation prize for not being on the Avengers podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a four-year-old joke now. At this point. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm doing all right too. I'm just I'm stuck in the middle of a snowstorm, so it's really fun. Well, <laughs> uh, Godspeed on that one. I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. But, Tell um, that nature to screw off. But uh, it, it, no, it is good to have you guys back on the show here, and uh, I'm excited. We're talking about a new Star Wars movie, which we'll get to say you know on a yearly basis, apparently. So, but here we go with it. Um, let's uh, let's do some show notes stuff real quick before we get really underway first up speaking of star wars we have a new commentary coming um because a new star wars film comes out every december that means there's going to be a commentary track devoted to a star wars movie for most decembers at this point and there will be one for everyone's favorite number two episode two attack of the clone is the uh, commentary track we plan to uh provide you guys with uh, this month so uh, stay tuned for that one that should be a fun listen i would say and um let's see what else iTunes reviews and ratings, it's good to get those. Helps out the show, helps other people find the show. If you want to log on to iTunes, search for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Uh, you can find our show. You can give us a star rating, which would be great. You can also add a uh, written review of some kind. That'd also be uh, very helpful. I would love to have you write an e-hug for us. I'd be very much appreciative of that. <laughs> Whatever that might look like. And um, let's see, last thing here. Um, uh, because we've had uh, Anna on the show uh, for the past few weeks, I just want to re- Mentioned, uh, she is the director of interns at the Newport Beach Film uh, Festival, and uh, if you want to, if you want to uh, join the uh, 
the uh, the intern program or be a volunteer for the uh, spring 2017 Newport Beach Film Festival, you can uh, email her at intern at newportbeachfilmfest.com. And so, yeah, if you're a SoCal uh, local, that'd be a good way to go to find out more about the how, to, how a film festival works and what have you. Mm. Do you get a cool pass? Do you get to walk the red carpet? You get to be involved for sure. And yes, there is a, there is a deadline on this, which is the end of January. So uh, also you can submit films. Uh, to be a part of the film festival, if you have a film that you want to submit, which is which also has a deadline at the end of January. Are you but, saying that you're going to submit your Godzilla film? We Ooh. definitely should submit our Godzilla film. I think you should, yeah. just because. <laughs> we might have to make a director's cut to make it pad out the runtime a little bit. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. 30 seconds isn't good enough? Uh, it's not. Good. It's only good enough for Jared Leto. <laughs> oh, okay. I, oh, I, I, no. I liked hearing the hesitation in, your, in the response to that one, but um, okay. Ooh. <laughs> All right, let's let's get let's get underway with something else here. Let's uh, let's uh, play a little Nova by right? We each week we ask each other a few questions, try to set the tone for the podcast. We better get to no. know everybody. Hey, hey! All right, um, Abe, you haven't been here. Why don't you start this one off? I haven't been here. I should speak in Japanese, but I can't. Uh, in any case, uh, if you guys were if you guys hoped to be a part of a colored squadron. For the Rebel Alliance, what Can color we... squadron would you hope to be in? <laughs> that, that question <laughs> came out so poorly. <laughs> you know, I really don't feel comfortable answering this question, guys. Yeah, I, uh, let me rephrase. <laughs> if you were a part of the Rebel Alliance and you were a starfighter, what Just don't add ED at the end of the word. That's all you have to <laughs> That's definitely... That's definitely staying in the show, by the way. <laughs> oh, I'm not leaving that. I'm not getting that out. <laughs> uh, what color squadron would I like to be a part of in the Rebel Alliance? Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge B-Wing fan. I think they're Gray Squadron, maybe? Or Blue Squadron? I forget. I don't believe you. I know green is A-Wings. So Gray, gray Squadron. All right. I think it's, I think, I think it's, I think it's Blue Squadron. I forget, I forget what the B-Wings are. Whatever the B-Wings are, that's what I'd be for. Uh, yeah, Aaron, Aaron actually took my exact answer because I, I, I'm, I'm also a big fan of the B wings and uh, the awesome. <laughs> yeah, whatever squadron they're part of, that's what I want to be in. Um, having played a lot of X wing flight simulators in my youth, I can tell you B wings suck. Oh. And uh, I would have to go with uh, Rogue it's than Q Squadron. Rogue Squadron would be my jam right there. Hook up with uh, Mr. Antilles with Wedge. That's right, Wedge and and Dak. So you be, know, be, you're not limited to one kind of fighter. You can fly whatever you know you need for that mission, man. You're multi talented. You're like the ambidextrous starfighter pilot. Fair enough. It is blue squadron, by the way, for B wing. It is blue. Yeah, yeah, I just like that. So B wings suck, but you want to join Rogue Squadron, like the best squadron. It's like joining the Chicago Bulls in the '90s. Like, <laughs> real. Hey, man. Absolutely. Hey, man, somebody's going to be Tony Ku coach. That's right. I'll be. I, I'd gladly be. I'd be. Uh, I'd be Bill Wennington, guys. Come on. I believe it. <laughs> I have a question. Okay. What's your favorite droid type in the Star Wars universe? We know you got all the various kinds with the protocol droids and the art, the astromech droids and the mouse, little mouse droids and everything. What's your favorite kind of droid in this universe? I love the gonk droid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the destroyer droids from the Phantom Menace that earn that turn oh, into a wheel the and then they roll and deploy with they deploy <laughs> with the deflector shields. Those are really cool. All of them, all of them. I just I love them all so much. I can't just choose one. 
that's me saying I don't know enough about the Star Wars universe to, to choose one category. I'm all about the the ball, the 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 big medical ball droid that just floats around and has needles and stuff. It's like okay, oh, like, interrogation droid. The interrogation. That's what we're calling it. <laughs> <laughs> the interrogation droid. No, that's what it is. All right. And it makes that. I do always like the the I don't that like the probe droids. I'm not like you know like I, that's my favorite, but I like the sound that they make. Like that's a fun. Yeah, yeah. Wait, can I hear that again? Okay, that's a sound clip now. The accent was a little off, but good try. <laughs> it's it's an exchange probe droid. <laughs> All right. Well, that's how you play. No, everybody. That was great, that was guys. That was, that was good. That was fantastic. That was okay. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> Sorry if you got spoiled over on your secret mission, you know, but I'm not impressed. <laughs> Let's do now, quickies. Yep. Each week out now, we have a movie we talk about. Those eyes are serious. Music that was sweet. Don't know no quickies. Yep. I was happy with that. That was good. Abe, have you seen any other movies recently? The great news is that because I've been off for a little bit and I've been international, I haven't really been able to catch up on some of these uh, newer movies. And then on the plane, I also watch a few movies as well. The The bad news is, because we all watch so many movies, the plane ride gets boring because we've seen, like, you know, 95% of the movies there. That being said, though, I watched The uh, the Legend of Tarzan on the plane. Yep. Let's get some quick rundowns. And, uh, Legend of Tarzan. That, was it. that wasn't good, <laughs> yep. but I liked Samuel L. Jackson in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair fair way to throw it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Next one, uh, I watched uh, Jason Bourne. And, uh, nope, I didn't like it. So, there you go. Uh, I then watched, for whatever reason, Do the Right Thing was on the plane. And I watched that, and surprisingly, there was some, uh, some nudity. And I was like, oh, well, thank you, airline. That was, uh, helpful and representative of the movie. So, I didn't get to finish the movie, though, because we landed. And, uh, most recently, I watched Moana, and I liked it. I thought that it might have been a little bit rushed at some parts, but uh, I really like the songs, and I've been singing uh, uh, You're Welcome. Yeah. And I've also been singing, uh, what's the one where she's, the Moana song where she's How talking about I'll the go. sea. How far I'll go. Yeah, I really like those two songs. I also like Jermaine Clement's, but. Uh, I like I like Jermaine Clement's song quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Shiny. Yeah. yeah. I like You're Welcome, but I like the goofy songs in the movie more. Yeah, that uh, one that one kind of came out of left field because it, it really didn't fit with the tone of the movie. And I was like, what's going on here? But this is a really catchy song. It fit with the tone of we're in some crazy upside-down world now and Jermaine Clement's here having his dry humor run wild. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So on the overall, uh, still playing a little bit of catch-up, and I certainly will be listing a lot more movies probably come next week. All right. Uh, Brad, let's go to you. What, uh, what movies have you seen recently? Um, I haven't seen a bunch recently just because I've been uh, kind of busy, but I did finally uh, get a chance to see Moonlight this past week. Oh, yeah? Um, and I absolutely loved it. And what, what was cool is that even though I have heard nothing but good things about it, I had successfully, and not necessarily intentionally, uh, avoided knowing anything about the movie. Like, I hadn't seen the trailer. I didn't know what it was about or anything like that. Uh, I just knew it was supposed to be good, and so I went to see it, and it was just incredible. It's such a good character portrait, and the performances are all amazing, and I just, I just loved it. Great. Adam, how about you? Playing a little catch-up over here, I was able to finally see Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which I thought was okay. 
Um, not as good as I had hoped. Some issues with certain parts of it, but overall, you know, it's it's kind of fun. Um, but what I really liked recently was The Edge of Seventeen. I finally got Ooh, to see that. Oh, yeah. That is just a blast. And just so much fun and, and so much life and warm humor and Woody Harrelson's awesome. Um, and then finally, have been making my way slowly and steadily through Westworld and really enjoying that an awful lot. Very cool. I've uh, I've seen a couple things this week, and I'll point out some of the new releases. There's some stuff that's coming out next week that we'll talk about next week. Um, but I managed to see Fences, the uh, Denzel oh, Washington okay. adaptation of the August Wilson play. Um, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I tend to have issue with, um, or sometimes I take issue with uh, stage productions made into you know cinematic features. And mm-hmm. other times it doesn't bother you as much. Uh, this time it didn't bother me so much. Like it's it's you're very aware that it's a, a you know a stage adaptation. I have not seen the play fences, but kind of the the way Wilson's dialogue plays, it certainly has the feel of that kind of production. Um, and while the film, it's because of just the nature of the story and the setting, it's still you know it feels like it's taking place in a you know a certain location all the time. Mostly it's it's well done, and that's mainly attributed to the actors at uh, Washington and. Viola Davis and a lot of the supporting cast are terrific in this movie, um, and so it's certainly a, it's worth seeing for for you know some great acting for sure. And um, I also got to see the Red Turtle, um, and the animated film from Studio Ghibli. Um, oh, okay. Which I found out is not. I I I just kind of assumed it was a Japanese production. It's not Japanese. It's like their first non-Japanese uh, produced film. Uh, what? Yeah, it's from a, it's from a, like a French um, Dutch uh, filmmaker, I believe. Mm, uh, okay. But it is, it is quite good. Um, it certainly feels like a film that would come out of Studio Ghibli. But it it is. Uh, I got to be vague on the plot just because I I went in not knowing anything about what the story was. Is it was... is it an origin story about Raphael? Of course, it is, yeah, isn't it? Sorry, okay, dude, right. Red story. Turtle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can't hide anything from me here, buddy. Cats out of the bag, turtles out of the shell. Here we go. Um, but... Can't wait for the uh, follow ups. No, yeah. It... <laughs> It it is quite good, it's, and it's certainly if you're a fan of Studio Ghibli films or more you know introspective animation, um, this is certainly one to look out for. Mm, okay. Yeah. All right. So that's enough cookies. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna open that one back up. I was go- I was focusing on main releases. I was focusing on main releases, but I will point this out because this, 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 this was actually pretty awesome. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, Anna and I and and Scooter, friend of the show. Um, we got to see 2001 A Space Odyssey last night, and I mentioned that because we got to see it on the big screen, which we had never seen it on the big screen before, and in this brand new 70mm print um, at the Egyptian Theater, and it just looked fantastic and sounded fantastic. Like It was just a great experience to uh, to take in on, on a big screen like that. Um, well, I'm that's huge, awesome. I'm a huge 2001 fan. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Limited run? So. Kind of like a two-day run kind of thing? No, the Egyptian Theater has like a five-year exclusive contract to hold on to oh. the 70 millimeter print. So it'll certainly be screening more. Um, so when Abe ever comes down to Southern California, we'll certainly try to make it. Actually, like, right make next door in the, in the next room. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah. All right. So that's on Yep. Let's move on now. Let's get to trailer talk. We're going to discuss some of the newest movie trailers of the week, what we thought of them, what and they're coming out and everything else and what have you. <laughs> this week we got a couple, and um, I'm gonna. This is gonna be. I was gonna do a show of hands, even though I can't see any of you guys. But who did you, anyone? You should still ask it anyway. Okay, show of hands. Did anyone see um, uh, Rogue One in an IMAX theater where they had the Dunkirk prologue? Mm. I'm not oh. raising my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. And I, I don't mean to say that like out of defiance. Like I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, not I'm not doing it. 
So no, is that a no? Then? Nope. Well, I don't know if Adam Adam nope. could be raising his hand. He hadn't he said, said no. My hand, my hands are in my lap. He okay. said no. Okay, so none of us got to see the the as of yet got to see the, the Dunkirk pro. So as they've as Nolan's done with previous films, I Am Legend had a Dark Knight preview or uh, preview and uh, what um, Mission Impossible. Mission Ghost Impossible. Protocol. Yeah, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol had a Dark Knight Rises uh, oh, right. prologue. Uh, so Star Wars Rogue One has a Dunkirk prologue, which shows like the first five or so minutes of the film. Um, way so eventually, I know Ann and I we plan to see Rogue One again at some point. So I well, hopefully it'll still be uh, having that prologue in there. But yeah, there was a in addition to the prologue for Christopher Nolan's next film, uh, there was a trailer release for Dunkirk, the upcoming film from uh, Chris Nolan, which once again utilizes uh, you know giant IMAX cameras to shoot a giant chunk of this World War II uh, based film on and what have you. Um, it features what Tom Hardy, Kenneth Branagh. Killian Murphy, Mark Rylance, and and what's what's his name? Eddie Styles from um, Harry, Harry Styles. Harry Styles from. Harry um, Styles. This is how this is how little I know about this band <laughs> from uh, One Direction. <laughs> One um, Direction fame. But um, with with all that said, uh, let's start with Adam. Adam, what do you think of the trailer for Dunkirk? Uh, it's a war movie. It looks like most other war movies. I mean, it looks kind of cool, but I don't really know. I, it doesn't, there's not much there that really seems that distinctive. I mean, there was one shot that really stuck out where there are some guys in the water that are getting shot at, and there's a great close-up of a guy underneath the water covering his ears and just sort of, you can see him shaking and how terrified he is as, you know, bullets rain down around him. But overall, I mean, it looks cool, but I guess the most exciting thing was that we didn't have the big Inception-like wah moments in the trailer with the music. But aside from that, I mean, it looks fine, but I'm not super stoked or anything. How about you, Brad? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it looks gorgeously shot. I Since I saw um, Rogue One on IMAX 3D theater, I got to see it, you know, on a really big screen. So it looks phenomenal um, with the IMAX format. But yeah, I mean, it's a World War II drama, and we've seen plenty of those. And well, I, think, I think some of the, you know, battle sequences look they're like they're going to be very impressive. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, super excited to see it, but I'm definitely curious. Yep. Man, this trailer sucks. I'm just kidding. It looks okay. Uh, I, I definitely liked the, I guess the, the feel of it. And by that, I mean the, the introspective, I guess, workings of the film. Uh, with that being said, though, the overall talking of Kenneth Branagh throughout the, throughout the, um, the trailer and then just realizing that he's kind of just talking at the same point and they kind of just spaced it out. That was kind of annoying. But with that being said, I'm open to it. And again, uh, visually everything looks pretty good. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is going to be a who's who. This is the, the Lincoln of, of, uh, uh, British actors, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to see it. So while I'm not like overly thrilled, I mean, I haven't really, it's not as though I'm not expecting this to be, or I shouldn't say that. that. That's kind of giving it uh, makes it sound terrible. But I'm not going in thinking that this is going to be a bad movie. All right. Um, I enjoyed the trailer. Yeah, there's these the spectacles there, but there's certainly like a with Nolan, you, you know, you get more seemingly more you know, ambitious ideas of some of the other ones, just because they're you know sci-fi or genre properties where they they feel more notable for what they're trying to do. Where here we're getting a World War II movie, which is not inherently bad. It's just sort of like little distinguishes that from aside from the fact that it's Christopher Nolan making a World War II movie. 
Um, but I, yeah, I'm sure we'll, you know, look, you know, especially using the IMAX footage or what have you, it'll look pretty epic. Um, what I do know is that a lot of these cast members, they're kind of second fiddle to the no-name cast that makes up the majority of these characters, like the, the people that we're seeing on the ground here. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're familiar with the history of what this is, I mean, it's, you know, it surrounds this this massive group of allied soldiers that made a big retreat um, in order to not be just, you know, taken out by Germans and make a, you know, ba- battle on another day, essentially, which, you know, you know worked out, spoilers for history. <laughs> like, we, we, what? We, managed, we managed to defeat the Germans. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It's weird that we have history books. But I'll, uh, I'll be very curious to see, you know, more of this as we get closer to its uh, release date. Uh, but yeah, Dunkirk arrives in theaters and IMAX and in its 70 millimeter presentations wherever you can find them and uh, on July 21st. Um, just to nail the timeline down here, that means there's Spider-Man on the 7th, War for the Planet of the Apes on the 14th, and then Dunkirk on the 21st. <laughs> That's a pretty cool July so far. Think about that <laughs> box office, uh, that summer gamble, man. Yeah, <laughs> that summer gamble's going to be something. Yeah. Although I think Dunkirk has his... <laughs> Might be less commercial than you know something like another Batman movie or what have you, but we'll I have it as my dark horse. <laughs> dark horse. <laughs> uh, the other trail we have this week is the Fate of the Furious. This is the latest in the Fast and Furious franchise, the eighth, in fact. If you can't get the pun that I'm sure Vin Diesel was very much approving of, um, and it sees. Dom back, although he's turned evil, it would seem, as he goes against his family that he prides himself so much for having in order to work with Charlize Theron's new character for some reason. Meanwhile, Jason Statham and The Rock have to team up after The Rock is imprisoned and put in the very place where he sent uh, Jason Statham the last time around. And lots of crazy car chases and submarines emerge and ensue. Yeah. So, with uh, all that in mind, let's start with Adam. Are you, Adam, are you a fan of the Fast and Furious films? I don't even know this. Well, you know, my, my thoughts are really simple. I have never seen a Fast and Furious film, and I don't intend to start now. <laughs> Makes sense. I, He's it, a man of principle. It just, I, I've never cared, and this trailer doesn't make me care. So I'm sure that a lot of people who are the target audience are going to really enjoy it. I hear that they've really uh, improved in quality over the last couple installments from kind of a silly popcorn franchise at first. To a silly popcorn know, franchise. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just saying, it's all conje- it's all hearsay. I, I, I don't actually know. So I think it'll it'll play great. I think it'll probably make a ton of money, but it's not going to get any money from me. All right. Uh, how about Brad? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, like, it's one that I'm pumped for. I'm definitely interested just to see how ridiculous and outlandish it is. Um, I'm somebody who went from, like, basically hating the early installments of the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, you know, like, I was even dragged to the first one by friends who wanted to see it um, in high school to just having a bunch of mindless fun once Fast Five uh, hit. You know, like, uh, I, I thought Fast and Furious 6 was really fun. Furious 7 was even better and more ridiculous. And now I'm basically just on board to see how crazy they can get with this franchise. The, the action is fun. It's, you know, it's insane. It doesn't make sense most of the time. And <laughs> now they're, they're doing a thing where they're turning the heroes on themselves. And so like, I'm most curious to find out what exactly Charlize Theron has on Vin Diesel's character to make him turn on everybody. Um, so yeah, I don't I'm, I'll be there to see it. Um, just to see what's going on. <laughs> Surprise. She's got the deed to his house in Los Angeles. It seems like pretty <laughs> low stakes. <laughs> <for that. laughs> 
Especially considering that the house blew up. <laughs> That's why she's calling him in. She's like, hey, you blew up. I have my the house. foundation rights to your property, Dom. Yeah. Get it There's right. always money in the banana stand, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Abe, how about you? Uh, I'm I'm on I'm on the same page as Bradford actually, um, except that it, I, I don't know if I'm I'm watching it just because the hijinks and whatever else. I'm kind of just watching it to see how these characters uh, will or where these characters will end up. Uh, the trailer is kind of loud and it's it's a lot of action sequences and the double crossing is kind of just getting even more ridiculous. But again, I've, I've invested a lot of time into <laughs> watching where these guys are going, and while it has been getting progressively even more wild. Uh, you know, a, a giant submarine and a Lamborghini driving on the tundra. I okay, all right, well, let's go for it, I guess. But sure, why not? It sounds like it sounds like Fate, Fate of the Furious and Transformers: The Last Night will be going head to head for a uh, movie with the most insane double cross heroes versus heroes, and also submarine because there is also a submarine transformer in Transformers: The Last Night. Is that in the trailer? No, it's not in the trailer. Were you, but the, it, were you on the set for that one? Yeah, it was. It was in all of our set visit reports that there there is a submarine transformer that will be in the movie. So what you're saying thing, is Michael Bay got time. the script to Furious Eight, and, and he's like, we're gonna take him down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My, the the team of writers that they assembled for these tra- the Transformers <laughs> universe just basically went and spied on the Fast and Furious. <laughs> that was their thing. Hey man, you gotta take inspiration from someone. Exactly. Guys, we need to get a little less ridiculous, so let's look at the script for The Fate of the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, writer team, it's called The Fate of the Furious. Spread that tweet wild. Um, I, You know me. I'm a fan of the Fast and Furious movies. You are. I, I, I embrace the ridiculousness and enjoy the, the, you know, the ensemble cast that they've d- developed and formed over time here. And, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is more of that. And... I guess they're, you know, I'll be curious because they're what there's like a planned three more right now, like this nine and ten, um, presumably. Are you serious? Ten. Yeah. When okay. when Furious Seven makes a billion and a half dollars last year, yeah, whenever, like you're gonna keep making these movies. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to end with ten, at least as far as like with the regular cast members, which I would only assume is called Fast X, and they go to space, as I've been saying all along. <laughs> they meet Jason. Of course, they should meet. Yeah. A- Machete. That would <laughs> yeah. make sense too. <laughs> I'm surprised Trejo hasn't been in one of these. Awesome. Ones, honestly, <laughs> like, like it doesn't make sense to me that he hasn't. You, you never know. He could be the president in the next one. Yeah, yeah. His, his <sighs> Trejo's Tacos truck could be driving by. Is on his point. <laughs> that seems like logical. Like that's what. Like Vin Diesel's at Trejo's Tacos and Charlie's there and walks in. And is like, guess what, Dom? I have the deed to your house, and it goes <laughs> from there. <laughs> Regardless, I, I I am looking forward to this movie. Like it looks ridiculous. It looks crazy and over the top. But he also you also still have Kurt Russell among many others. The whole Jason Statham and The Rock teaming up thing had me cackling. Like it just is like it's like face off. Just the because of just how how over the top uh, The Rock plays his character and how like just like quintessentially Jason Statham. Jason Statham is in this movie. In this movie like it just it works for me. I'm just excited to see it. Um, so yeah, I, I I am looking forward to the fate of the Furious. If only because I want to support it, just so I can see what they would title the ninth movie in this franchise. But well, we'll see where it all plays out. Uh, the Fate of the Furious, which I only describe or I only spell by using uh, the number eight in Fate, uh, because there's no, it just makes no sense to, have to do it otherwise. Um, it arrives in theaters April thirteenth next year. So uh, wait, I got a question for all you guys. Yeah. Did they ever? 
I can't remember if they ever uh, went through and told you how Michelle Rodriguez survived that that car crash. Yes, they had a whole elaborate okay. flashback sequence and everything in Fear in Six. And she yeah. was okay. All it's right. somehow not the most ridiculous thing in the franchise. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she just right. she, she just rolled away. <laughs> that was, is, that, is that what it was? She just rolled she got, away. Well, the car flips over. She got out of it and rolled away before it exploded. It's, you know, it's, Okay, what, yeah, what, what else would you do? I mean, that's what you do. There, yeah, that, <laughs> is, that, that is true. That she is what she you didn't, like, do. Green Lantern ring her way out of that one. I don't, I don't know what else they would, like, do to solve the problem. Stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad that that was, that was uh, covered. There you go. All right, that was trailer talk. Let's, uh, let's move on now. Let's get to the main review for Rogue One, colon, a Star Wars story. If you're really doing this, I want to help. Good. I've been recruiting for the rebellion for a long time. We destroyed our home. I fight the Empire now. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. The captain says you are a friend. I will not kill you. Thanks. There isn't much time. Every day, they grow stronger. There is a 97.6% chance of failure. He means well. That should have been some of the trailer for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. This is the first major standalone Star Wars anthology film. It's not connected directly to the Skywalker storyline, as it tells its own story. In this case, we have a Men on a Mission film that follows a ragtag group of rebels who band together to steal the plans for the Death Star. This was noted in the opening scroll of A New Hope, and now we have a full feature film to provide further context on that. Uh, Felicity Jones takes the lead as Jin Erso, a loner with some personal ties to this weapon of mass destruction, and she eventually teams up with a number of others, played by the likes of Diego Luna, Donnie Yen, Alan Tudyk, Riz Ahmed, and many more, on what is seemingly a suicide mission. Uh, that may be the case given the presence of Oren Krennic, played by Ben Mendelsohn, an Imperial in charge of the space station, looking to prove himself in the eyes of Darth Vader. Brad... Were you big on what J.J. Abrams did last year by bringing back Star Wars uh, in some brief thoughts, and did you uh, enjoy this different direction that we've taken? Uh, yes, I did enjoy Star Wars The Force Awakens quite a bit. Um, I saw it several times in theaters. I've since watched it several times on home videos since it came out on Blu-ray and whatnot. Um, I really I, I liked how it tapped into... You know, what we love about the original Star Wars while still introducing some new exciting characters and a new direction for the franchise. Some have, you know, panned the familiarity and the nostalgia in the movie, but I thought it's kind of kind of what we needed in order to wash away, you know, what uh, the bad taste of the prequels in our, all of our mouths. So, yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed The Force Awakens, and um, I was excited to see what Rogue One offered as, you know, this sort of new direction for Star Wars with these spin-off stories. And... Rogue One kind of does the, uh, a similar thing that Force Awakens did by giving us something familiar to latch on to uh, by having the story be about the heist to get the Death Star plans um, so they can destroy it in A New Hope. But I think that where Rogue One succeeds is where some people thought Force Awakens faltered and also vice versa. Um, because Rogue One doesn't rely on as much nostalgia 
um, as Force Awakens did, and it feels like it's its own thing while still be feeling like a Star Wars movie. I think this feels more like a genuine Star Wars movie than Force Awakens does, from the the visuals to the production design. Um, you know, uh, the 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 action is a little bit more hard hitting, but everything feels like we're ingrained in the world of Star Wars. Whereas sometimes Force Awakens feels like they're telling us how great Star Wars was while trying to emulate it, more kind of like pretending in a way. Um, but where Rogue One falters a bit is the characters are not as dynamic or engaging or lovable as the, the new characters in Force Awakens. K2SO, the new droid, is a standout, and Donnie Yen is sure at Emwe are, they're, they're the, I think, the two best new characters we have. But otherwise, I feel like we don't get enough time to latch on to the uh, the entire crew of Rogue One to really care about their you know ultimate ending and sacrifice for the rebellion. Um, but having said that, all the action they take part in is incredible. The third act is one of the best endings I've seen in any blockbuster for a long time, and it's it ties perfectly into A New Hope. And I, it's it's a really good Star Wars movie once it figures out that it's a Star Wars movie after the first twenty minutes of clunking around and gallivanting around the galaxy. Adam, I want to jump to you now. Some brief thoughts on Force Awakens again, and uh, what did you think of uh, this film? Um, I'm one of those guys that thought that making more Star Wars movies was unnecessary in the first place. Um, but that said, I mean, it's what we're getting, so might as well enjoy it for what we can. And, you know, I really enjoyed Force Awakens. I, I had some problems with the familiarity of it. I had some problems with just how much of a remake of the original Star Wars film it seems to be. But what I can't deny is that it's got really high rewatch value. Every subsequent time I've watched it, I've enjoyed it more and more. And some of the familiar things have bothered me less and less. So I really like Force Awakens um, quite a bit. Um, also, speak for yourself, Brad, about this bad taste that the prequels left in all of our mouths. I actually like uh, two out of the three. Um, I really like Revenge of the Sith quite a bit. I know I'm in the minority, but that's how I feel. Um, but when it comes to Rogue One, I really enjoyed myself. I had a really good time. Um, I think it does have some some faltering in the early going. There's a lot of kind of clunky going from sp place to place that kind of reminded me of Quantum of Solace, where yeah. you have these flashy title cards telling you, here, here's where we are, here's now where we are. Whereas in Star Wars, you know, they usually just go... You hear the name eventually, and then there you are. Get it? They're trying to make a heist film, and in heist films, that technique that's used to keep everything straight, but I was a little confused. I really, really enjoyed the space battles in this movie. I think they are the best space battles in a Star Wars movie of the Jedi. I think they're just fantastic. Um, I am with you, uh, Brad, on some of the characterization. I think that Jyn Erso and Cassian in particular need a little bit more development to really connect with uh, the audience. They're great concepts for characters, don't get me wrong. I mean, conceptually, they're great. But I don't think they have enough character development to really connect on a level that they could um a couple of things i liked briefly i really liked the way the rebel alliance you actually see the alliance you see these kind of warring and competing factions you know arguing about the best way to move forward instead of just this unified front i thought that was great um i really enjoyed uh chirrut imwe and Baze's relationship i thought that was really interesting um i love the droid I had a couple problems with some of the technology that was used to recreate some uh, performances. I know we'll get more into that. Um, but all in all, you know, the more I've thought about Rogue One, the more I've uh, just 
really it's it, it's it's stars rising in my eyes. So good time. Abe, how about you? What do you think of Rogue One? Uh, I, I liked Rogue One, and I, I don't know if it really knocked me off my or knocked me off my seat or knocked my socks off, but uh, I did enjoy it for what it was. I, I definitely am on the same page as Bradford and uh, Adam in that. The, it takes a little bit to get going, uh, and the characterizations aren't as as strong. And with that being said, though, that's kind of uh, I guess some of the scripting, because uh, I also didn't think that some of the script was that strong with uh, some of these one-liners and whatever else from Cassio, um, or Cassian. I'm sorry, Cassio is a white. He doesn't brand. have a stereo. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's Star Lord. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed it for. When it does get going, I did enjoy that aspect. And again, that last act is something that uh, I thought was incredibly terrific in in that it's Star Wars and they're in a war zone and there's a war movie happening in front of me here. Um, there's like some some things that I, I didn't like about the uh, the overall movie in that uh, I don't know how this is a, a fairly violent movie, but. I just don't really understand like the uh, the MPAA ratings. I'm just like you know I understand that there's no bloodshed and whatever else, but you know there's some there's quite a lot of violence here. So uh, with that being said, though, that's just more of, of a, a criticism of why does something like this get a PG-13 with no blood, but quite a lot of death, uh, where some other movies kind of get R ratings like with you know one blood scene. In any case, Rogue One I think is a pretty solid effort, and I really did enjoy the the aspects of the movie that make it different you know like i, I agree with the, a lot of the the folks on the panel that there's a lot of familiarity with uh, force awakens and whatever else and in this one not a whole lot except for the faces that you've seen before which i thought was pretty incredible i mean michael douglas and ant-man now and robert downey jr in civil war and and now this movie it's just like wow hollywood is uh it's kind of getting on a creep level factor so um, Looks but, like Disney but, has a program that they certainly want to get their money out of. I mean, it's almost as if uh, Robin Robin Wright's uh, what was that animated movie she was in? The Congress. The Congress. It's almost as if that was like a true story. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's it's very yeah, prevalent. It, it, it's really spooky. Uh, but again, overall, I did enjoy it as it was, and uh, the ending is how I would have expected it to be, and I was uh, happy that they didn't uh, do anything that would, uh, I guess. You know, make it not how it could have, it should have ended. So, there you go. I, uh, if I want to jump straight away to the ending, I think it actually goes on a few scenes too long. But uh, sure. that's a different conversation. Um, the movie as a whole, I had a blast with. I, I thought Rogue One was a whole lot of fun. Um, I am a huge Star Wars fan, as I think three out of four of us on this podcast are. You know, giant Star Wars fans. I know if you like Star Wars, you're not as like into the universe as some of us are. Yeah, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. You know, yeah, I just I don't know all like the. Star Destroyers, but uh, but um, I what I I mean, you guys are talking about kind of the opening and it being a bit clunky. I I can agree to a point as far as like it's trying to do a lot to make sure you're kind of introduced to a lot of elements pretty quickly to kind of move from there. But what I like about that is that you have director um, uh, Gareth Edwards, who he's taking on this uh, basically a new challenge within this universe where he has to set up a movie that doesn't feel like Star Wars tradi- traditionally. Um, and to do that, he made a man on a mission film. And I, I like that you have to jump around to different planets and introduce yourself to the, like this ensemble cast to establish what's happening and establish new planets and a basic sense of what the, the, the plot is beyond just like Death Star happens. 
and what you guys have mentioned about characterization again i can agree to a point where it's like it's not it's not a film where i'm going to walk away thinking just how great these new characters were in the same way i really liked finn and poe and ray and kylo ren from last year um but i think it works in sticking with what it is which is a men on a mission film where it's it's less it's less about having deep characters and more about showing you this new this unique perspective of these troops that had to do this mission to help the greater good and i think there's some real interesting thematic stuff there where you're watching kind of these unsung heroes doing a mission i i really like how that kind of plays into the film among other kind of ideas that it toys around with in the midst of being this you know sci-fi spectacle film that's you know a big star wars movie um i as far as you know the the kind of the the production of this it looks great i think the um the, the kind of the cinematography here you know, obviously combines a lot of visual effects but brings in a lot of you know new worlds and whatnot i think it's it's pretty terrific i i, I really enjoyed what they tried to do in bringing in these new planets and bringing this you know, these ideas and uh, seeing these you know varied locations and varied action there's like there's a lot of great action which i think again ties into what's interesting about how it's going about showing the war aspect where you have like a you have these guerrilla troops at one point going on like a you know this explosive kind of thing or you have you know more straight forward uh, blaster you know action sequences and you, know, you have like a giant war scene at the end i think there's just a lot of stuff like that that for a movie like this where i'm like okay i really want to see what they do different to make this kind of anthology film work I, I got a lot out of that. I got, I, got, I got to see what it looks like to see something that's not Star Wars necessarily, but still is Star Wars. Like, it, you know, it's having the best of both worlds. So I, I had a blast. I really like this film. You want to talk more about the uh, the actors at all? Sure, sure. Um, well, obviously, we have Felicity Jones in the lead. Um, and you guys have mentioned, I've heard in, uh, in Diego Luna. Um, yeah, the, the character is, they're not they're not very deep. Like you get some, Adam, I think you mentioned, you get some ideas for like what they are, but uh, I, I'm not sure if the film goes too far into it. Although something like, someone like Diego Luna, I like that at the beginning of this film, you essentially see he's a spy. Like he's a rebel yeah. spy who has to do some things that he may not like doing, like killing somebody in cold blood just because he'll get in the way. Like or he'll reveal something that he doesn't want to happen. Yeah. I didn't really have a problem with the, I mean, the relationship kind of, grows as the movie progresses but I, it was just more of there's this pretty interesting lines that uh i think uh, it was uh Chiru says he's like hey you know you carry your your uh i forget what he says but essentially it's basically like hey there's so much you've seen and experienced so much uh negative things that you kind of just carry your prisons around with you and i was like you know that's kind of an interesting uh thing to say and i kind of wish that you guys would elaborate on it but it's not that kind of movie and again they have to keep pace with how this third act is going to go. So those kind of things where I was kind of more curious about rather than, you know, any sort of love formation, which I don't, they don't necessarily allude to it, but, uh, I was more curious about that stuff. So with that being said though, Jane or so, or Jen, Jen or so she has a, uh, yeah, she has a stronger backstory that, uh, I found interesting, but, uh, I'd also like to say that, you know, Disney with finding Dory and, with Moana and with uh, Rogue One, it's like they they do some really adorable child uh, casting, and this is you know running around with a backpack is it it's a very hectic scene, but I was like she is super adorable running around in that little jumpsuit and backpack. 
Yeah. What gets me is that they were able to find like a small little girl that has like the same kind of front teeth that Felicity Jones has, but they can't. <laughs> but they couldn't find like an old British actor that looked like Peter Cushing. Like that's like not a thing that they could yeah. do. Yeah. His name's Peter Cushing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Diego Luna was really good in the dramatic scenes, but I think he had a little trouble with some of the action scenes when he's running around barking orders at people. It, it just. Um, didn't connect as well as I thought it could. And I, thought, I thought he sounded a little bit silly, which is unfortunate. And that's not ever something I would want from from somebody in a movie like this. I mean, Felicity Jones is fine. Uh, but again, I don't really think she gets enough to do to really, I mean, not, not to do, but enough character moments to really connect. I will say, though, I'm really excited that Disney is just going all in on the chicks with Star Wars between Ray and Jenner. So, it's really exciting to see these strong female characters really, you know, kicking ass and taking names. And, and I, I thought that was fantastic. Um, I, one thing I want to mention, too, I mean, I know we all pretty much, I think, love this guy, but Donnie Yen kind of steals a bit of the movie. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And this, the character itself is kind of a stereotype, if you think about it, the blind, wise, Asian martial yes. arts master. <laughs> it's a hard thing it's to look past. I didn't past, put that but... one together, Adam. I didn't put that when, one together. But, I mean... When you watch the trailer, I was really annoyed, and I thought, oh, man, really, that's where we're going with this? But then you watch the movie. He's so well-written. He's so well-performed. I mean, he's just – and what I love, too, is he's this religious guy, but he gets super scared in, like, stressful moments. And he's, like, saying his mantra or whatnot, but he's, he's absolutely terrified. And I just thought Don Yen just did a hell of a job with this movie. And he's also Donnie Yen, so we actually got to see him, you know, do some Donnie Yen-type action hey. in this movie, which was awesome. It's pretty cool. Um, and his, uh, I was going to say, like, just adding very quickly to the Diane thing. So, again, there's some pretty interesting things about that character. You know, what was he so – why does he believe in the Force so much versus uh, Baze? And then why does he still continue to believe in the Force so much versus Baze? Uh, and also I, I love the, the, the very quick glimpse of, you know, his handshaking and then he's got to – he's got to calm it down and then he's going to go into war kind of thing. So those kind of things were really nice touches, but – I, I would have. I guess I have to read the books instead of watching the canon films to to see uh, to read more about uh, these characters. Well, I think I think that's uh, part of the problem that I find with some of these like universes and and sometimes with Star Wars, it's going to be a problem. Is that like um, in the movie world, there's, there's when it comes to world building, there's a lot of stuff. It's like, oh, we'll find out more about that in the sequel, or oh, there's details about that in the movie. It's like this 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 is stuff that needs to come through in the movie if you expect us to actually care while we're watching the movie. You know, so like, well, I think Baze and Chirrut have probably the most believable and developed relationship of the movie. Like, I I love their 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 friendship, or even if it's more than that, um, but that dynamic comes through, and I I love what they have together on screen. Um, but like. I, I I think all the characters could really like benefit from having a little bit more of that. Jin, we we get a decent amount of backstory on, but it doesn't really help me understand her place in the world as far as like um like there's a there's brief references as to why she has kind of turned a blind eye to what the rebellion is doing, but then her turn back to like being all gung ho about the rebellion feels really like out of nowhere to me. The question is what choice? Run, hide. Plead for mercy. Scatter your forces. You give way to an enemy this evil with this much power, and you condemn the galaxy to an eternity of submission. The time to fight is now. I didn't really buy into the fact that all of a sudden, no, no, now I'm all about fighting the Empire again. It's like, why? Nothing nothing changed. Like, you, sure, you saw your father. Fine. But, like, 
there was nothing that really felt like it had an impact for me to be on board with her all of a sudden caring about the rebellion again. I think the father thing is a pretty legitimate thing. I think I think the 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 combination of her father and seeing what the Death Star is capable of, I think, makes it a pretty good reason to want to not be a part of that. I agree with Bradford, though. I mean, you know, she's very against it, and then all of a sudden she's got to meet uh, uh, what's his face? Al Guerrero. Yeah, Forrest Whitaker. Then, Forrest Whitaker. Thing. Yeah, in and his craziest, most hairiest performance. Forrest Whitaker talks right. like this. <laughs> I love that hairdo is amazing though. Um, but then later <laughs> yeah. she goes she goes to the the, the uh, council and then she's just like, "Yo, we got to do this together." And I was like, "What?" I mean, this again. Again, I, this I, came I did... after seeing things happen with her father and seeing the Death Star blow up a plant, almost blow up a planet. Yeah, it was like they had to get to the end of the movie, so they had to add these parts in, which I would have loved to see more expansion on it so i agree with bradford though i can see where i also i like i I think the one the crux of my feeling about that too is that uh she she takes that rebellions are built on hope line from diego luna but i never get get the sense of like where the real turn came in for her to be able to say that with such conviction like it's her own belief you know like i I didn't have a problem uh, i thought it was great because you know you got this moment where she sees a message and then all of a sudden, because she saw it and someone else didn't see it, then she has this sort of elevated position. And I really thought that was a good way of sort of taking this outsider character and all of a sudden, okay, now she's calling the shots because she's the only person that knows what we need to know. And I, I get where you guys are, are having some trouble you know, connecting to that, but for whatever reason, I, I didn't feel that way. I just I felt like it actually really worked that all of a sudden she would have bought in you know, like Aaron said, after seeing the Death Star and what it was capable of, knowing what was going to happen, and having that family connection, I just, for me, that kind of pushed me over the edge on her. I want to move on to other people. Sure. <laughs> varying opinions, but because I, I, we haven't talked about him at all, but I want to talk about Ben Mendelsohn. Um, I, am, I am a big Ben Mendelsohn fan. Um, he plays lots of different slimy characters, and here he plays yeah. a different kind of slimy character, um, where... I think there's a lot of neat layers to him, but I'm curious what you guys thought of his performance in this movie. I was, uh, I, I w- will say that the trailers made me expect a new Imperial officer villain that was going to be like a force to be reckoned with, a really intimidating guy, a cool new villain. Um, but I wasn't disappointed to find that that's not really who he was. I kind of liked that he's this guy who is strong and in command when he's the highest ranking officer in the room. But when he's under threat or duress or stress or anything, he kind of turns into this sniveling, ass-kissing guy who is desperate for approval from the Emperor. Like, he is, he is out to prove himself. He wants yes. to rise more in the ranks. And, like, he's, he, he's desperate to hold on to his control of building the Death Star and making sure that he's recognized for what he did for the Empire. Yeah, I, I liked his complexity a lot more because, yes. like, he is not he, – he's friends with uh, – uh, uh, Galen Urso, and so it's 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 a complicated relationship there. But again, he's not uh, he's not super strong like what Bradford's saying. He's not just like this dark guy who's gonna use uh, all of his powers all, all for whatever. He's just this really ambitious guy who's moving up through the ranks, and it's really interesting to see that because in all the other movies, those guys don't really get a voice. So Aaron, that goes to your point of like, hey, you know, it's cool to see these these uh, background characters get more of a, a, a you know uh, a center stage role. Um, and 
because of that ambition, it really drives him to do some of these things that are really they're uh, they're kind of it's it's kind of sad at sometimes because when he gets demoted or when he gets not even demoted, he doesn't get demoted, but when he gets out ranked in a conversation uh-huh. it's like wow that uh i i, I didn't i didn't expect that well so. abe I, I completely agree which is also why on the you know on the rebel side i'm not as concerned with the characters because it's it's more of giving like you're kind of saying like it's giving a chance for these side characters to essentially be the front the, you know on the front of the show and i think what what makes it different is that with mendelson along with people like whitaker or donnie yen they are more experienced actors where they can they can do a lot without saying that much and by putting Felicity Jones and Diego Luna in the leads, they're good actors, but they, you know, the authority that they bring to a scene is not necessarily as inherently strong. Someone like Ben Mendelsohn, I get a lot just from him being around and doing little things and having his, in addition to what the character writes for him or what the movie writes, you know, what the script writes for his character. And I do think it's a really interesting thing where one thing I really note that I took note of, which I thought was really cool, was that, you know, the, the most of the Imperial officers, they all have a, you know, like an English regal sort of accent. Ben Mendelsohn doesn't have that, and it really it, that seems like a hint that he's not from the higher means that the Imperials are. He's he's, mm. he's he like he like you were saying he rose in the ranks. He probably started at the bottom, and now he's here. Abe, I <laughs> would say, um, but he, he's. I, I, it seems like there's a, there's some just interesting nuance to him. Yeah, he's friend like you said. He's friends with Galen Erso, Mads Mikkelsen's character, and there's a relationship there. He he you know he. He he's dressed in white and has a cape. He certainly he sees himself as something that's higher than he actually is. He gets into sparring, verbal sparring with uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, he has to he has to go around him to try and talk to Vader to see what he can do there. Like there's things. It's just all of that. I just found to be a really interesting idea of how to make a an Imperial officer more interesting than just I'm evil and Empire's great and let's all do this. Like I I, I really. You know, we don't see a lot of Mendels in this movie, but like the amount of it we do see, what he gets to do in this movie, I really enjoyed. I was really into what he was had to bring. I thought he was fine, but I think any number of actors could have played that part. I, I can agree, but, but I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I can, I can say that for a lot of the actors in this movie, but I did, I did see him do it, and like I was happy with it. I mean, given the promise of a person walking around wearing a cape that is essentially a bloomer cape. You know, I felt like I had hoped for a little bit more from this guy. It was fine, but I just I didn't think it was that distinctive. I, I see what you're saying, but you know, not one of my favorite Star Wars villains. Mm. But did you at least admire that he kept his his white uniform very clean? <laughs> I didn't see any smudges until he got shot. The starch <laughs> is strong with this one. Yeah. <laughs> What do you guys think of uh, aspects of, such as, uh, I guess, the, the technical aspects? Aaron, you talked about the cinematography, which I thought was okay. I mean, a lot of a lot of visual. Uh, oh, I think it's more stuff. than okay. I, yeah. uh, I, I think okay. the I, I think the, the 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 shooting of this film, the way it looks, is some of the best cinematography we've seen in any Star Wars film. I think there's some great just bi- just big shots of things well, that are happening, especially like when the you beat sequence stuff. But uh, there's the beat stuff, but there's the stuff on like the the other like the um was it uh, Jetta. Um, mm-hmm things like that the uh, the kind of the claustrophobic stuff going on when you have basically you know basically they're doing like a terrorist act with the rebels where they're just like firing down on stormtroopers but there's just like there's some there's some neat close quarters action there's that uh, great scene where they're flying they have to they have to land they have to land a ship in the rain in a Uh canyon and that's great 
Yeah, the, yeah, that whole rain. So you know, seeing X wings flying around in storms, it's like it's awesome to me. Like there's just, there was <laughs> there's a lot of different kinds of stuff, and I thought it really came out. You know, I what you know looking i've seen the star wars films a lot and like some of them have some really you know some iconic moments obviously but as far as you know the way they're being shot this is i think there is and it helps that you know uh what edwards had what digital cam digital cameras but they use like 70 millimeter lenses like there's some really oh, like, interesting great shots in this movie <laughs> like that huh. i i can't wait i can't wait to see it again just so i can kind of take in the the awes of what was going on here a little bit more there are a couple moments at the very very end with the space battle where I won't spoil anything, obviously, but there are a couple, there are at least two occasions where spaceships do things with other spaceships that are uh -huh. exactly what you've always wanted to see. I was, so um, I was, I was squeezing on his end and like, and like really smiling hard when I realized, you know, because there's some visual cues that oh. are very, I mean, that's something I like because you, there's, you know, there's dialogue, but there's also just a really, a great mastery of how to tell you something visually in this film that I, re especially in that third act. Uh, which is like Return of the Jedi, Jedi on like overdrive, given that you're like going to like three different battle spots all in the same. But like it, it just yeah. that yeah, what you're referring to, Adam, was amazing. <laughs> like I oh love all God. of that. And this movie really just crackles across the finish line, which is really exciting to see. I mean, you you get by, by the end of the movie, my whole theater was pretty much just hooping and hollering. I mean, people were just stoked. Oh, I'd like to also add that. Uh... Midway through the movie, some guy was coughing up a lot, and then he collapsed in the in the stairwell. So everyone kind of everyone kind of got up from their seats for a second. And, oh, during uh, your screening of the movie? Yeah, during my screening. And it's like I don't I don't was... remember when Riz Ahmed died from no, the coughing. No. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about in the night of? No. Yeah. But uh, no, so I was like, you know, just Adam, you you mentioned or you reminded me of that when you were talking about your your audience, and I was like, yeah, our audience had like a, a mid movie medical situation, so. So you were distracted, so your reviews scenes. were valid. That's what you're telling me? Is that what What's that? <laughs> go back to Taiwan and go back to vacation. Well, yeah. I, and I, I want to hear what Brad, what you have to say about this in a second, but what I want to add is that I think with Gareth Edwards, who I'm a fan of, I, I, you recall, Abe, I was a big fan of his Godzilla film. I mean, even if you don't like the, the kind of the story-wise how it plays out, I think the, the, the kind of the, the cinema aspect of that film I think is pretty incredible. I mean, and you can you can note the like the the big thing in the trailer of them jumping out of the plane and everything. But I think there's a lot of shots that in that movie that are similarly communicate a lot by just giving you a great placement in things. And I think that speaks to Gareth Edwards' talent in general, where because he made monsters for like a million bucks and he did all the effects himself. And it's like I, I think he I think he gets what he's doing in these kinds of worlds. And I I look forward to more of what he has to do. But in for Star Wars. I think he nailed it. I guess from a visual standpoint, I thought he did a great job. Uh, yeah, no, I thought the cinematography was gorgeous in this movie. And one of the things that I appreciated about what he did too is he added a sense of scale to some of the things that we've seen before. Like, there's some really incredible shots of the Death Star that show you even more, like just how big it really is. And I feel like there's not a lot of shots from the original Star Wars or Return of the Jedi that give us much of, like, a sense of the scope of the space station size, you know? Like, um, there's, there's, there was only ever a couple shots where we were, like, really close to the surface of the Death Star, like when the Falcon is entering and exiting the, the docking bay after they get locked in the tractor beam and whatnot. And this, we, got, we just got some really cool shots of the Death Star and to see, like, what it looks like from various angles and how it compares to the, you know, the Star Destroyers and planets and that kind of thing, which, which was really cool to see. Yeah, but, seeing, I, 
Yeah, I love the use of like shadows on things because of how big this thing is. Like, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, Did you guys keep thinking that the Death Star was upside down though at different points? <laughs> I, I, mean, I didn't. That, that would that would that would argue the fact that that anything can be upside down in space. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. There's just a bunch of points where I'm like, this is not no. That's supposed to be up there. It's supposed to point that way. That's what my Lego set does. So I'm, I'm right. That's a great Lego set. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, thought it, I thought it looked, uh, looked beautiful. There's there's a lot of great shots, and I and I, I agree with what you said. I think that is it's definitely one of the like most expertly shot Star Wars movies that we've seen. Um, and okay, so Brad, you met you meant you know getting a, a sense of the Death Star, and obviously that comes with having you know technology and visual effects that you just you can't necessarily do in the same way when you know the original Star Wars movies were coming out but um, as good as the effects and I think the effects are for this kind of stuff I think they're pretty terrific but that brings me to the other thing we have a full you know CG Peter Cushing in this movie I don't think that's a spoiler because we're talking about the Death Star and who was on the Death Star Grand Moff Tarkin and I'm very happy that the movie wasn't like well Peter Cushing's not alive so we just need to not have this character I was happy that they embraced the idea that we need to have this character, but the delivery of that, I think, is a little bit questionable. Um, so I want to hear your guys' opinions on what you think of. Well, I want to ask Abe first because because Abe, I know you're you know maybe less familiar sure. <laughs> with this character in general, just because you you know you you like Star Wars, you've seen Star Wars, but maybe I, I'm curious. What did you when the, when he arrived? What, well, did, you, when, did it stick when, out to you? Yeah, when Ben Mendelsohn gets onto the ship, and uh, I actually just thought that they were going to keep him looking outside and just show the back of his head. Uh-huh. Uh, and then when he turns on, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like that—that that looks exactly like the guy. <laughs> and then I was like, "Well, maybe they just use a stand-in, and then they they CG'd his face in." But you said that he's completely CG'd. Uh, no, I believe it is like a a stand-in. It, I, well, it's a stand-in with like yeah, like a green mask, some, something like that. So it's probably similar. His face is entirely computer generated. Okay, yeah. there we go. Wow. So I mean, again, when when I saw that, I was like, "Wow!" You know, again, that's pretty cool. It's not the first. It's not the only character that they do, and then because there was, of course, Benjamin Button. Because there was when, <laughs> when, when they were getting older, he was getting younger. But uh, to answer your question, I thought that it was actually a really neat pull off. Again, the audience did gasp with excitement, um, not as much as the the one later, but uh, for this one, it was pretty neat to see him there. Uh, again, I we've seen this technology before, so it wasn't anything ultra out of the blue but it was pretty neat to uh for them to to treat us this way the difference and uh, yeah it's not completely unknown but the difference is like you know seeing it before in more recent films like the marvel films it's more of a de-aging you know like you have right, actors that right. are clearly alive and they're performing these roles it's just they've been you know modified to look like a younger version of themselves this is someone that's been dead for a good couple of decades at this point yeah. and it's so it's so i, I want to ask you guys now brad, like brad what do you think of this effect um here i i have two like your separate train of thoughts uh, the first thing is, is i was extremely impressed that they were able to pull this off um i i ser- when I, I also thought initially that when i knew that was tarkin that we were never going to really see his face that we were just going to see him like over the shoulder shots or you know right, something right. like that and, I, and then when he turned around i i was serious i was i was like whoa because like it's it's a it's an impressive visual effect. They did a, a phenomenal job bringing his likeness to life, um, and it, it looks great. Now it's not quite to the point where it is entirely convincing for those of us I think who have seen 
so many blockbusters and can easily recognize visual effects. Yeah. The one thing that is a, is a sticking point with these these character creations like this right now is I feel like that they have a problem making like the lips uh, come together like when they're speaking. Like that's always been the biggest thing. It's, it, there's something around the mouth that I don't know if it's like there's a there's some kind of natural delay with how we talk, the way our lips move when our when words do, or what it is. But there's a, there's a, like from whether it's Jeff Bridges being young in Tron Legacy or something else. There's always been a problem with how these CG characters speak that makes me like realize that it's fake. However, I was with some other friends who aren't quite as like into you know filmmaking that kind of thing, uh-huh. and two two of my friends had no idea whatsoever that that was a computer generated character. They thought that that was a real person, and they had no idea that Peter Cushing was even dead. So it's doing its job very well, but this brings to like the front of this you know topic of conversation whether or not it's something that should be done. Now, uh, I've read a bunch of stories about how they did this and, like, the visual effects and everything and, like, the, the actor that was the stand-in for um, Peter Cushing and the person who did the voice, but I haven't read anything about whether or not Disney actually got permission from Peter Cushing's estate, whether it was required, whether his family had to give approval, or anything like that. And it makes me wonder, you know, how much, you know, uh, right does a studio to have to credit a performance essentially to a character that was, you know, given life by an actor who is no longer alive. Like, sure. Even if his family did give approval, we're, we're talking about seeing a character with the likeness of a person who has been dead for 20 years. Like Peter Cushing isn't approving this performance as belonging to him or the character that he created. And so like, I think that there's a really gray questionable moral area as to whether or not this is something that should be done. Um, you know, if, if a character needs to be brought back, I think that they should be recast as best you can with somebody who looks like it. Audiences, as stupid as they can be and they, as much as they don't understand things, they understand that roles are recast all the time. I mean, yeah. Richard, Richard Harris died after Chamber of Secrets and no one had a problem with Michael Gambon playing right. Dumbledore. Um, you know, this, this stuff happens. And so, like, while it was impressive and I think Industrial Light and Magic was excited to show off that they could do something like this, I think that it's something that needs to be done very sparingly in the way that they like, uh, you know, brought a young Carrie Fisher back in, you know, this movie. And it's, it turns into an even more of a question of whether it should be done at all. If we're bringing back a character, uh, where the actor has died and they're doing more than just appearing briefly in, you know, a cameo. Um, it's, it's one of the reasons that Robin Williams, you know, in his will, like dictated that his likeness couldn't be used until like 2039. I think like it's a long he had, he had a thing in his will where it's like, this is not, you know, what I, I don't want anything done with my face or anything like that. And so, yeah, it's it's very cool, but it's also super unsettling at the same time. I, I very much agree with everything you just have to say, actually, as far as being used sparingly, um, focusing more on recasting roles where people can basically accept the benefit of the doubt that you just can't do this thing because you can't. Like, it reminds me of what Jeff Goldblum was saying in Jurassic Park. You spent all this time thinking if you should, or if you could. Uh, but you never often asked if you should. Like it, it's you know it's like do we need to go this far? And like you're saying, yeah, ILM, you know they've been a pioneer of visual effects for many decades at this point. But I I have to wonder is like do how far do we really need to go if we're if we're basically you know t- removing the soul from acting and just doing this thing now for you know people that existed. Um, so it it's a tricky line to walk for sure. And I yes I I probably would have preferred 
more be, you know behind the i would have preferred just you know find another english guy because come on like we can do that but um <laughs> but, but if they're going to do something like that i figured yeah it'd be just more of like oh there's like a you know a side scan of him or whatnot not you know an entire like here's a giant close-up to show off how great this is um adam did you have any thoughts I'm sorry. yeah I, I i thought it was problematic um the thing is, I don't necessarily have a problem with digital quote cameos or whatnot. Uh, we've, you know, we, obviously we can't spoil anything, but later on in the film, there are a couple of kind of quick hits that are pretty great because they're used very quickly and efficiently, and it's kind of just what you want, even though you didn't know <laughs> it's what you wanted. Um, but with this particular one, you know, they're they're all in, and we've got a lot of close-ups. We get a lot of just head-on, you know, views of this recreated, this recreated. Uh, I don't want to say Persona. corpse, but you know, it's just, it's just, it's really weird to see someone who's, we know is dead being recreated. Now I think if they had done it, but shot it differently, maybe more profile, maybe quicker cuts, maybe different angles, wider angles, longer angles. I felt like it could have worked. I'm not saying grand Moff Tarkin shouldn't have been in the movie. It just, for me, I'm going to watch the polar express before Christmas, but I didn't plan on starting last week. You know, it just there's just something with the uncanny valley where it just it just doesn't look right. And I get I get that, you know, we're we've made great strides and whatnot, but I felt like it just takes it takes you out of the movie in a way that you don't need you don't need it. So yeah, that's how I feel. I do I do wonder though, like, cause, and and this is where I I, I I struggle a little bit, is like we know Peter Fishing is dead, we know how visual effects work, that kind of thing. But for people who don't know he's dead and don't know that that's a digitally created character, like they're none. Some of some of these people are none the wiser, and so like if they're being, but they are convinced that this older man from a movie from 1977 could still be around to do this part in 2016. <laughs> well, well, think of, well, think about that though. You, I mean, Ian McDiarmid played the Emperor in Return of the Jedi, and he was true. He looked, yeah. he looked old as shit, and he looks just as old because he is that old now in the prequel. Yeah, so right. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, but he was under a ton of makeup. The first time we saw him, right. no, but no, no, but that's that's my point though is you know that, but a general audience member doesn't necessarily know that, you know, like who's I guess say- I just I really want to hear an audience member say, "Wow, they made that actor look really old back in 1977." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think he looks so bizarre. You can just tell something's not right. Now maybe you're right. Oh, yeah, maybe yeah, other audience be- members wouldn't see it, but I just I question that any audience member is just, and maybe it's just my geekiness talking. But I just really wonder that anybody wouldn't look at that and go, oh, yeah, that's just another dude. You know, that they wouldn't be able to tell something was off. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was, I was still in disbelief that it was happening as I was seeing. It's like, huh, like they're doing something here that's not right. But like, I can't quite put my finger on it. So what's but interesting like, about the, the character is, is also, uh, in addition to what you guys are all saying, is, yeah, because we've seen so many movies and we can definitely tell uh, it apart, you know, I can definitely see it later on in the movie when they're going back and forth to him. It's like, wow, this looks very much like a CG creation now. Um, but... Aaron, like, to your point, like, why don't you just recast? You know, you have somebody like Mon Mothma in this movie. It's exactly like uh, Caroline, whatever her face was. Uh, so it's like, it's not impossible to find actors. That... I, I like how you did half the research on that. He's like, I know I know the first name. Like, I got yeah. uh, <laughs> Bathison. Bathison. There, Thank you. Yeah. Um, but it's not impossible to find people that look alike um, or just put heavy prosthetics on. You know, it's... Because again, we're I agree with you guys ethically. It's just you know, I don't know. I, I don't really feel comfortable with something like this. 
it's not a future I want to see where it's like Humphrey Bogarts is back in. Like it's just like I, okay, like we Humphrey Bogart and John. I will say that I feel, I feel more I feel more comfortable with something like this than I do of like there's some kind of commercial. I, I don't remember if it's for a. I thought it was. I think it's for a chocolate, but it might be for a perfume or something. Where they used Audrey Hepburn's likeness um, from Breakfast at Tiffany's to sell something, and like it's stuff. It's it's not just like recycled footage of her. Like they've they've done something digitally to make her like come to life again. And I'm like, okay, that's not cool because like they're using them to sell something. Whereas like this is like a performance as a character in a movie. So I'm while I'm not necessarily fully on board with it, I'm much more okay with that than I am seeing, you know, these. Uh, people who are dead used to sell products and you could argue that rogue one is a product to be sold uh but it's it, it, i think there's, there's a difference there as long as we're not rethinking two pocket coachella guys <laughs> that company went out of business <laughs> i mean I let's, let's have some standards huh. here yeah um to move on because we've been talking about sure. this for a bit um, you guys mentioned this and abe you brought this up too as far as the darkness and both the you know seeing the wars aspect in star wars uh, this movie is quite dark. Like, I mean, it it is it does kind of fly by the seat of your pants. Like, it, it has that kind of Star Wars feel of like we're jumping around in space and there's you know little one liners or what have you. And there's even a, a a call to you know I got a bad feeling about this. But the movie, without giving things away, it you know it does it go it goes to lengths that I don't you know you don't typically associate with Star Wars as far as how it accomplished or, you know even blockbusters in general, which I very much appreciated. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. it, too. Uh, it's just that uh, if this is going back to the MPAA thing that I was talking about earlier, it's like... No, it's not, no I just mean yeah. more of the kind of... The, it the is darker, of but again, I, I attribute that because this is a war. Uh, it's a war universe, and also this is a war movie. So that's why I was I, I was appreciative of the fact that they, they went to the lengths that they did to show me that people will die. Soldiers will lose their lives uh, in these rebel alliances and also in the uh, Galactic Empire. So... Uh, I was glad. I, I was also glad that of the 15-second Darth Vader thing. I was like, this is something that I expect of a, a, a Sith Lord. You know what I mean? So I was glad that they that they uh, went balls out with that. To go back to something you just said, too, about how, like, uh, cause, and this is a little bit off topic, but the way you talked about it reminded me. Um, you're talking about how, you know, like, we're seeing soldiers die and that kind of thing. One thing that I was a little bit frustrated by, um, and this also ties into something that Adam said about how you're really excited about how Disney is going all in by having female characters be at the forefront of these movies. You know, we have Rey in Force Awakens, and we have uh, Jyn Erso here in Rogue One. However, I feel like giving just one female character the lead and having everyone, almost everyone else like still populated by all of these men still feels like it's like throwing a bone. Like, I don't understand why all of the people that volunteer to go fight on Scarif at the end are all men. Like, there should have been a few women populated in there, because there are women soldiers fighting in the Rebellion, just as, the, you know, there there are women... Well, Mon Mothma's leading one of the leaders of the Rebellion, right. well, and, no, let alone exactly. yeah, Princess Leia. I just don't... I, I would like to see more, like, representation of women on the level of, like, every other you know, character, whether they're extras or anything like that. Like, sure, having a lead female character is great. Having a female leader of the rebellion, awesome. But, like, it, it should be pretty even all around. Like, there there should have been, you know, female rebels there fighting on the ground with them. I will say this. 
that's that's one aspect, but I can't appreciate a cast where the only white guy is a robot and everybody else is Diego Luna, Donnie Yen, Mads Mikkelsen, Riz Ahmed. Sure. Like it's, sure, it's sure, like that's, yeah. there's a there's a wide swath of, of diversity here that I'm, I'm very much appreciative. Absolutely. I like what yeah, Felicity I'm, Jones said about the whole female lead thing. She said, uh, and I quote, I'm asked a lot, oh my God, it's a female lead. I sort of feel like if it was a giraffe leading it, then that would be a weird point of conversation. <laughs> But Very no, I, excellent I'm with, point. <laughs> I, I'm with Brad on that. It, it would be great to see more women on the ground level. I think that would that's needed. I think it's important. Um, as much as it sucks to say, I mean, I, I I feel great that we're making progress at all. Even though I think that it should be further along, and it just shouldn't be that big of a, a deal to have more women in these movies. One yeah. thing I did like though about the the male soldiers uh, that were there. I like the fact that for the first time, you get a chance to see, not the, maybe not the first time, but one of the few times in Star Wars where the faceless soldier that's going to go do the thing, you get a chance to see them inside their trooper transport getting ready to go out and charge, and they're freaking out. And I love that because so many times in these movies, you know, because whether they're wearing clone trooper helmets or stormtrooper helmets or they're part of a big scene, and we don't get a chance to really zoom in on them. You don't really think of them as being individual people that are conflicted about the fact that they're about to go run out there and shoot at things. And I really like the yeah. way that this movie takes it to the ground level and you really get a chance to see these people and, and you know, how, how they might be feeling as they're about to go take part of the larger, the larger set piece. You know, not, not to uh, – just very briefly, not to, uh, you know, make you guys into some sparring argument between Star Wars and Star Trek, but uh, that's what I appreciate about Star Trek Beyond uh, in the first – 10 minutes of the movie is that they they showed you that space travel it's not always glitz and glamour it's like it's repetitive it's boring and also they they took the time to show you that these people have families that you didn't you never think about so uh in any case that's just a, a very quick aside i think it it's i might be giving it more credit than it deserves but i think it speaks to the writing of the script that the you know the kind of big speeches they're not all that you know amazing as far as like what like the the pump me up speeches to get us going or whatnot and i think that speaks to a reality where you can only say so much that you can think of off the top of your head in these kind of you know desperate times call for death for the measures right. situations right. when i i do i think there's a it i think it does help emphasize the fact that these are just like a you know as i'm saying a ragtag group of people that are trying to do a thing and it's not you know they're not these like major generals or leaders that have all these inspiring words that are going to get you going it's more like there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of banter. There's bickering. There's, there's even disagreement among the rebel. You know, the rebel leaders as right. they're like that. I don't even know if we want to do this whole Death Star plan thing. Like, it's like it, it shows a lot more disarray than you're used to, as opposed to like, okay, we got these plans and we're gonna do this amazing X-wing run down a trench and right. you know, accomplish it. Like, it, it's more, it's more like, all right, I guess we can try this. And there's an improvise. There's a lot of improvisation going along and what have you. Like, it, it works. Like, See, I, what's, I, what's I, cool about that is also just that. I, I'm agreeing that they they shouldn't, or I'm glad that they didn't have any go get him speech or freedom speeches. It's it's something that Diego Luna says in the movies. Like I've been in this war since I was six, so this has been a lifetime war for some of these people. It's like I don't need any pump up rah rah speeches. Like this is my life, so like I, this is just normal to me to go to war and do a fight for this rebel alliance, even though I might not necessarily agree with everything that I've done or that they've asked me to do. So that's why I, I agree with you that. Yeah, I don't really need any of that rah-rah stuff. 
And that's what I could use more like the kind of the, the fogginess of this war where, you know, it's pretty well defined what Star Wars is as far as the main episodes go, where it's like, okay, they have a giant thing that blows up planets. Clearly they're the bad guys. Like this is like, it's still, you know, that's still there. And you obviously know it just because you've seen seven previous Star Wars movies, but the, you know, the, the things that Diego Luna or whatever, I could have used more of that as far as what the rebels have to do to force themselves to be demoted, devoted to like a certain cause, but you get like you know that whole scene of um, that that feels like you know like a terrorist ambush scene where they're on the on Jetta and they like they bomb a tank and they're fighting and there's civilians in the streets and stuff like that. Like that, I thought was really interesting. I thought that was a really neat you know kind of action sequence because there's there's some thematic layers there. Like what are we really accomplishing? Like Diego Luna has to take out one of his own, essentially one of his own guys because they're more they're devoted to the cause in a more violent sort of way than the others are like there's little just neat things that i thought kept popping up in here but let's not forget this is co-written by one of the finest action writers of recent memory tony gilroy i mean this guy wrote the born identity supremacy ultimatum he wrote michael clayton duplicity you name it i mean this guy knows how to frame an action sequence i'm curious to know if he came in more as a rewrite to the original chris white script which is I'm kind of that's how, what I would kind of think happened, but I mean, it's not surprising that this action is so well done, just because I mean this guy knows what he's doing. Brad, I'm sure you know more about this, perhaps, but I, yeah, I know Tony Gilroy did. He did. He is. He did come in after Chris White's. Like he did do. Yeah, he was involved in the rewriting process and even had a. As if we're if rumors or what have you are true, I believe he did you know, handle some of the direction the film was taking, especially towards the end. But, uh, yeah, I don't know the. Um... Some of the stuff out there is accurate, but then some of the stuff I'm also just as clueless on as everybody else. Yeah, yeah. The, the rumors about how extensive the reshoots were are absolutely true. They they redid a lot of stuff, and uh, there's a bunch of bunch of articles out there right now that you can go and see, like just how much has changed based on the fact that there's so much footage in the trailers that is nowhere to be seen in the movie whatsoever, and that includes shots of Jin and Cassian running across the beach while Jin has the Death Star plans in her hands. So something was severely changed mm. in, the, in, in the ending of that movie. I don't know if it was because the action wasn't working or if they decided to have a huge change in the story, but whatever Tony Gilroy did is was a huge departure from what a lot of the footage that we saw uh, in the trailers. That makes so much sense now, because I was going to remark that this, these trailers show... Uh, uh, what's his face? Ben Mendelsohn, like, walking through the the water with his cape gun. Which is one of my favorite shots yeah. of this whole and thing. I, I was I'm kind like, of expecting that him. Shot? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's very, that's pretty insightful. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll speak a bit more on that later on in the feedback section. Sure. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll come back to this point. But It's, I wanna, it's not I'll quite have... on the level of, of the removal of the you complete me line from Tony Stark as he jumps off of the building in Iron Man 2 that we saw in the trailer and didn't see in the, <laughs> yeah, in there's the a lot... film. Well, that feels like because they just shoot so because Robert Downey Jr. is like ad libs a bunch and they're just like, all right, here's a trailer <laughs> shot. Kind of thing. <laughs> and that's actually a good point though because my friend had he was we were talking the day after we both had seen Rogue One and we were talking about things that weren't in the film and he was disappointed and he was saying he felt that all of those additions would have made for a better film, but you know I I wasn't so sure you know that that putting all that stuff back in would have made it a better film um, and I'd be curious to see. When the home release comes out, if there's any kind of deleted footage where we get a chance to, or maybe in a featurette where they talk about, you know, what made them go in a different direction, I'd be curious. I, given how tight-lipped Disney likes to be on a lot of these things, I'd be very surprised if we got more than enough as far as sure. any deleted scenes or that kind of perspective. So but what yeah, you're saying, obviously... Aaron, is that we need our own little Rogue One right here, and you're going to be our Jyn Erso. 
They're gonna sneak in and steal the plans. Steal the deal. Steal the deal. I'll, I'll be the K2SO. I, I'll just die. Again, we'll get, we'll get back to that later on. Um, I want to wrap this because yeah. we can talk about the yeah. movie for quite a bit and move on to some other things here. But um, what I, I, I feel like we all like this film, but um, I'm going to ask anyway. When should people go and see Rogue One? Uh, Brad? Oh, yeah. Go see it immediately. See it on the biggest screen possible. Uh, see it in IMAX. I, I don't know if the 3D is necessarily worth it, but since there aren't many IMAX screens showing it just in 2D, um, you know, still see it on IMAX, and if you can see it on in one of those IMAX uh, 70 millimeter screens, that would be even better because you'll see the Dunkirk prologue. But yeah, go see it in theaters immediately. Adam, uh, take out your headphones, step away from your computer, go now. Don't even finish listening to this podcast, guys. Uh, just go now. Go do it. I, I, I'm just imagining like a then come cartoon. back and finish the podcast, guys. Let's, <laughs> let's get that. Leave, I'm just leave like an iTunes rating and review. Damn it. Leave yeah. your iTunes rating and reviews at the door. But no, go and see it now. I mean, you're going to really – if you're a Star Wars fan, you're really going to enjoy this. If you're not a Star Wars fan, I know a couple of kids that saw it this last weekend that didn't know anything about Star Wars, and they enjoyed it. So you're going to enjoy this movie. I, yeah, I, I definitely recommend it in theaters and, and go see it uh, as soon as you can. I think it's it's definitely worthwhile, especially the last third of the movie. Yeah, I certainly say go see this movie uh, as a Star Wars fan, as an action blockbuster fan. It just it does everything that I wanted to, even with you know minor uh, issues aside. Like I think it's just a, a terrific film. All right, let's um let's move on now. Let's get let's get to our sponsor real quick first. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Why Audible? Audible content includes more than one hundred eighty thousand audiobooks and other similar programs for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any kind of MP3 device. Additionally, Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook download of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. Choose a book to download for free and start listening. It's just that easy. I imagine there's probably some Star Wars Expanded Universe books on Audible. You can probably find not. that out for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, go to audibletrial.com. Check out the service. If you don't like the service, you get you can get rid of it, but you get to keep that book they download for free for free. So be a winner. And read. Or listen at audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. All right, let's move on now. Let's get to uh, feedback. Feedback, feedback. Feedback! I know you guys missed that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, this is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. We asked a number of questions, and you guys gave us uh, Lots of, of feedback this week. Through. Yeah, we got lots of feedback. Yeah, which I'm happy about. about. Yeah. First question we asked everybody, what did you all think of Rogue One? Uh, Brad Cowan writes, loved it, as good as Episode 7, and seriously, is there a better way to pass the time when you're having to tie your tire replaced and watching Star Wars. Uh, Justin writes, I loved it. The last 20 minutes was amazing. Our next question is, uh, what did, uh, what's your favorite Star Wars memory? Uh, Maxwell writes, either seeing Star Wars for the first time in a cinema in 1997, the special editions, or the D23 Expo in 2015 and bumping into George Lucas in our hotel lobby. Ooh. Where we said, oh, hey, how, how are you doing? Um <laughs> Amy writes, realizing a story I wrote in second grade was a thinly disguised retelling of A New Hope where the part of Leia was played by a pony, a space pony. Um, Manish writes, uh, my Darth Maul lightsaber, and I had some great times with it. (laughs) Uh, Chris writes, coming out of a cinema in 1977, age six, just going, wow, totally awestruck. Uh, And then my dad took me to see 2001, and I came out very confused. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Philip writes, geeking out on the clip from Jedi that Siskel and Ebert played on their show and recording the audio on my tape recorder to listen to repeatedly. Hey, I was only 11. (laughs) Um, And Justin writes, taking my son to see Episode 7 and then one year later again to see Rogue One. 
Yeah. You guys have a favorite Star Wars memory? Yeah. Um, when I so Empire Strikes Back Special Edition came out exactly on my birthday in cool. 1997, February 21st. And my parents got me and ten of my friends out of school early so we could see the first <laughs> Nice! Yeah, we saw the first showing of it at theaters on, on that Friday, and then we all went to Chuck E. Cheese afterwards. <laughs> Double fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've had lots of things Star Wars have happened in my life. Um, but the seeing episode three for the first time in the theater at a midnight show, like a packed midnight show, that was pretty cool. Like, you know prequel prequel smequel like it was just fun to get like a giant you know people wanted to bemoan the prequels or whatnot but people were still excited to see them when they were coming out and episode sure. three that was you know people were excited to see episode three and i had a great time watching it and everything i also did the, uh, uh i did the marathon of all the movies last year before force awakens came oh, out wow. which, which oh, yeah Anna and i did that too in our preferred in my preferred order it's your own, it's your own little button yes, yeah, yeah. I, I did it in theaters which was uh, pretty fun, like, overnight experience. Like, everyone was just so excited. Did they give you, like, uh, breaks in between? How long of those yeah, breaks? No, they play them on top of each other, <laughs> so you get really confused. Yeah, there was... Split screen. Um, there was, like... There was 15-minute breaks between um, the, each movie and the prequel trilogy, and then they gave us, like, a 45-minute break, like, between trilogies to get, like, food and come back and whatever. Uh, and then next three movies with 15 minutes in between, and then there was, like... I want to say like a half an hour between Jedi and Force Awakens. Okay. That's pretty cool. Adam, do you have any uh, awesome memories? Oh, man. Just too many to, to count. Too I mean, many. this has just been such a huge part of my life. I, I remember seeing the first one uh, for the first time. We, I remember calling the video rental store to see if they had it because we, we decided <laughs> we were going to watch it that night. Can you explain Star to Wars? Years what a video rental store is? <laughs> now, now, kids, we used to have these boxes, and they had tapes in them. Um, but I still remember the sound of the, the guy's voice when he's, he's like, hey, you know, so-and-so, do we have Star Wars? Um, it's funny because I remember my sister totally did not want to watch this movie at all. She thought it was going to be stupid. And then we both just finished this movie. And you know, the first time you see this movie, you're just in awe, and it just meant so much. And I, I remember seeing the Star Wars prequels with friends of mine, the same friends, on opening night, and just how much every couple of years those times together meant, and just how much fun it was. You know, I just this has been such a huge part of my life. I'm I'm just so grateful to, uh, you know, I just love this shit. <laughs> Duly noted. All right, next question that we ask everybody, who are your favorite Star Wars characters outside of the core set of heroes and villains? For example, Luke, uh, Han Solo, Chewie, etc. Ryan writes, Admiral Moti, although I find his lack of faith disturbing. He's the guy that tries to question Vader's authority, and then Vader strangles him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> strangles him. Uh, Chris writes, big fan of the Tuscan Raiders, favorite Halloween costume, and Lando, one cool dude. Worse than those horrible flea-ridden Ewoks. Friend of the show, Adam Gentry. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Uh, he wrote, uh, I love Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, Philip has Grand Moff Tarkin. His name is fun to say. And he seemed to have Vader's punk card in his back, car- in his back you know, pocket. We, talk, we talked a lot about Tarkin and his appearance in this movie, but I am a fan of that character. Like, I think it's such a... You know, we talk. You know, Vader gets a lot of credit, but Tarkin is the antagonist of Star Wars. Like he is, he's the, he is the the most evil person in that movie, and he's, he is a great character that Peter Cushing did a great job with. You may fire when ready. <laughs> Justin has. I've always. Uh, I, I have always loved the droids uh, in all the movies and the personalities uh, that they show. 
And lastly, a friend of the show, Anna, writes, my favorite Star Wars characters outside of the core set of heroes would be the X-Wing pilots. For example, Porkins. So, there you Stay go. on target. <laughs> uh, next question is, what Star Wars spinoff film would you want to see? Uh, Maxwell writes, a, a movie like Speed, Re- or Speed Racer, but all about pod racing, or a story set in the Imperial Academy, but not necessarily connected to the saga stories at all. Vampire Academy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Manish writes, I'd like to see different genres set in the Star Wars universe. Uh, Chris writes, it would need lots of subtitles, but a film focused on the bounty hunters getting their prey could also open up other planets and universes. On a side note, they could also destroy all the Ewoks. (laughs) (laughs) With a devil face emoji. (laughs) Uh, Philip writes, something way back in the timeline before the formation of the Jedi Order, where few proto-Jedi are just starting to figure out their powers and abilities. Mm. And Justin writes, the life of a stormtrooper. I think that was made in, like, a really short, funny, like, two-minute video way back when, right? Troops. A lot of the things we're talking about are, like, robot chicken sketches, essentially. <laughs> but, yeah. It was, like, was a, cop, troops, it was like a cop spoof. And it was yeah, the troops. Yes, yeah, Adam, you're, you're right. Yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. Uh, next question we asked everybody. Lots of films are driven by a set of characters tackling a major objective. What is your favorite film about, quote-unquote, men on a mission? Philip has Lord of the Rings, the, the trilogy, men, hobbits, dwarves on a mission, and a wizard. Chris writes, Saving Private Ryan, that's one hell of a mission. Uh, Adam writes, uh, Ocean's Eleven, the remake, easily. John has Deliverance and Stand By Me. Dustin has Black Hawk Down, for obvious reasons. Also, World Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West. Man, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anna writes, Men on a Mission, the Blues Brothers. Um, <laughs> you guys have favorite Men on a Mission movies? Uh, I'm a big Dirty Dozen fan. I'm going to throw that out there. I, I think the Dirty Dozen's pretty terrific. Offhand one. Yeah, yeah Private Ryan. Yeah. Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. That's not bad either. The Simpsons movie. Yes. The Simpsons. <laughs> They've got to get the pig. off them. <laughs> Spider Pig. Yeah. And let's um, ask everybody, how do you feel about CG performances from actors who have passed away? And this is going back to what we were talking about in depth uh, earlier on. Chris writes, if it helps finish a film, like in Fast and Furious 7, then yes, no problem. Not sure if they use uh, shot footage. Otherwise, don't really see the point. To, to answer Chris's brief point, like, yeah, with Fast and Furious, they had Paul Walker's brothers come in to help kind of round out the footage, and they used a lot of digital you know, like tinkering to complete some of his scenes. Yeah. Uh, Maxwell writes, I don't have an issue with it in slight cases, and of course, as long as the actor's family or estate approves of it. So that's uh, what Bradford was saying. Uh, Justin has don't have an issue with it if it's per, uh, pertinent to the story being told, but it needs to be good CG. And lastly, Manish writes, it can feel like grave robbing, creepy. I agree with Manish too. Icky ground we're on with that yeah, one. Yeah, it is. Uh, now that we get to our questions, uh, where you guys asked us questions, we can answer. This one's not a question, but it is a response to something we uh, were dealing with last week that Justin asked us. Justin asked us about um, if we feel like we've become, if we've if we've basically answered our calling if we found our calling in life or whatnot if we're happy with it or if we're, we're still looking for something oh deep and uh, it was a good it was a good question we had a lot of good discussion about it with uh with anna and um who's our guest last week uh with michael michael lee and alex billington um but uh just we we threw the question back at justin like what does he feel like he's accomplished he actually gave us an answer um he writes not a question but an answer to last week's question back at me I do feel like I was meant for more. I have always loved helping people. I was a medic for many years, but it didn't feel it didn't fill that void. I have been many. I 
I have been many things to find that calling, but still seems outside my grasp. I do feel all three of my kids are my greatest accomplishment thus far, which I noted because he knew that he is he's probably a great father um as time goes on i do feel like it's getting too late for me so i do what i can to make sure my kids have the skill to be whatever they want to be i think that's a very thoughtful answer i appreciate that you got back to us and that you wrote it you know you didn't just email us but you actually wrote it on the page for us but yeah i, I that was a really good question i we like to we like to go deep on out now every now and then i thought <laughs> so, so thank you again that's for, our new you know, writing back to out now deep yes that, <laughs> but thank you again justin for getting back to us yeah and then uh, the last question that uh, was asked by a listener, uh, you guys may know her. Her name is Anna. Uh, she asks, there are some scenes in the, uh, that were seen in the trailers that didn't make it into the actual film due to reshoots, which of course happens uh, a lot during making films. There was footage like Venison's character, Krennic, walking with his cape, Jyn Erso standing in the Imperial uniform with the lights going on, to name a few. How do you feel not seeing these scenes? It will be interesting to see if any of this footage is ever released in extended cut. We, um... We briefly touched on this already, but I, I, it's interesting to have seen a movie marketed a certain way, especially leading up to you know days before its release, where there's still some of this footage. Um, one of the other main shots is like Jyn Erso walking on a like a catwalk and seeing a Tie Fighter emerge in front of her, which I call. I feel like that's less being tinkered with and more of like I feel like the marketing team just like imposed that to make like it was similar to like the that shot in the Predators trailer, if you want to go back to that, where, like, Adrian Brody has, like, a whole bunch of targets on him at one point, but that doesn't happen in the movie. <laughs> um, so I, I, there's things like that where it's like, all right, they're... I guess they're selling a certain mood for the film is the best way I can look at it, where sure. I, I, even if they're not using that footage, you're still getting across an idea of what you're going to expect from a movie like this, like, tonally and what have you, and... That's basically the best way I can take it here, where if anything, because we're, you know, we see trailers and they give away a lot of things, while we're aware that there were reshoots on this movie, if we didn't know that and we just saw that, it'd be a weird place to be where I could feel like, well, they didn't spoil the movie for me, so that's something, I guess, and I could appreciate the films being its own thing instead of being something that I was spoiled on because of the marketing leading up to it. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, guys? I mean... Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I feel about that's it. That's the most optimistic way I can think of it, yeah, I guess. It doesn't seem, seem intentionally deceptive, especially with a movie like this. Um, and I would like to see, you know, the like w- how these scenes that were cut fit into the movie. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I want to see, like, an entirely different cut, but I, just, I wish that there was a little bit more transparency from in these things. Like, you know, if they wanted to wait a couple, few years a- after the movie came out so that people see the movie and experience it the way... You know, they wanted uh, people to experience it. But then, like, I would love to know so many more things in depth about this movie and how it was made and the things that were changed. And along, like, uh, you know, this, this is something that's a little bit different. But, like, I've always wanted to see, like, one-offs and crazy ideas turned into real movies or, like, the movies that we never got to see. Mm-hmm. Like, like if we never get to see 23 MIB, I'll be supremely disappointed because I want to see like what that idea is like. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of really cool one shot ideas that I think would be cool to see realized in a, in a big screen budget fashion, but they're just not, you know, uh, necessarily feasible to do for a movie studio. And like, I, that's, that's one of the things I'd like comic books do every now and then with their little one shot stories. Like, what if this happened? You know, I would love to see that in movie form, but it's just too expensive. I hear you. Yeah, I I, I largely kind of uh, feel as though there's multiple takes during a movie, and I might just be seeing an alternate take. But I agree with Aaron that 
I'm glad when I'm not spoiled by the trailer. So that's kind of why I tend to not watch anything beyond the teaser in the first trailer. Uh, it's like I just don't want to have as much information. I, I remember, like, Aaron, we were talking about it this one time during a movie. You're like, well, I knew that something was going to happen in this one guy because I'd seen it in the trailer. So uh, it kind of Which is something I, I try not to do also. Like I, I'm very good at kind of separating myself from – marketing would have you while i'm in a movie because yep. i don't i don't try to guess where things are going i don't tend to try to think about what twists are going to take place so it generally speaks to the quality of the film if my mind wanders and i start to think about that kind of thing um also and honestly you know watching real going i didn't really think about some of that stuff I, I i didn't think like i only realized after the fact it's like i didn't get to see that cool shot of krennic walking through the water with his cape draped just slightly over it like it it, it only was afterwards was like oh yeah there was all this like stuff that they showed but i didn't really think about it but um all of that in mind, as far as these reshoots go, isn't it great that the movie did actually work and we're like really excited about yeah. it to an degree? <laughs> like, of course, this, you know, exactly. The, the you know you, the various sites want to report like it's the end of the world because the movie goes through reshoots because apparently movies are always made the first time perfectly and there's no ever question about that. That's <laughs> how they made Suicide Squad. So I don't whatever, know. Your yeah, exactly. Is. Yes. Um, that came out perfect. But so, but so it's it's great that you know this widely publicized thing that seemingly spelled the doom for star wars actually is like oh no this movie's actually really entertaining yeah all right uh that's enough of feedback 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 now let's uh, get a hey, what uh i think what, it might be time, time for a, a very uh quick game here little known fact that was actually the song that plays inside of the uh, the rock crystal of Jyn Erso. Yeah, it's also from the deleted cantina scene in my Star Wars version that I'm. That is true. Yeah, I'm glad that they went through the original, or I guess the, the remake. <laughs> hey, do you have a game for us? I do have a game for you guys this week. It's called "How Many Obscure Facts Can I Find About Star Wars That uh, Bradford, Adam, and Aaron Don't Know, or Maybe They Don't Know." So this game was actually kind of hard for me to make because I was like, "These guys know almost everything about Star Wars," but uh, I'll give it a shot here. So, so I'll, I'll name a trivia us? question. And okay. uh, if you guys have the answer, then feel free to buzz in with your name, and uh, let's see how this works out. It's it's a very short quiz this week. Uh, according to Wikipedia, mm-hmm. how many stormtroopers are on the Death Star? <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> and you um, said you weren't very good at this game, Hank? <laughs> uh I feel like we could all provide a best guess answer and go by prices right rules. Let's go prices right rules, yeah. Um I will say three hundred thousand. Okay. I'll say a million. A million, okay. Uh one dollar, Bob. One dollar. One dollar wins it. Yes! Twenty five thousand nine hundred and eighty four stormtroopers. Alright. Uh, okay. Imperial Navy and Army, there are over 300,000, so Aaron so, would have Well, that, that's before they staffed all the Starbucks that are on the Death Star. <laughs> There's nearly 2 million personnel of varying combat eligibility, so yeah. I said 300,000, you said 25,000, so yeah, that just means there's still 200,000, 275,000 stormtroopers. It is yeah. a planet. So. Can you imagine picking up your latte? TK125. Those, those KX droids must really hate it. Uh, in any case, uh, here's the next one here. According to Wikipedia, I have to I have to preface that all the time because I don't want you guys to think that I came up with this myself. Uh-huh. In the class of the Alliance fleet, under starfighters, 
Can you name all five starfighters? Not shuttles, not yachts, not freighters, not transporters, corvettes, but under starfighters. Aaron. Aaron. X-Wing, Y-Wing, A-Wing, B-Wing, and now the U-Wing, I guess, right? Not the U-Wing. Okay, well, um... That's technically a transport ship. A-Wing. Okay, X-Wing, Y-Wing, A-Wing, B-Wing. Um... That's a yeah, tough one, actually. What am I? What am I missing? Q wing. These are rebel <laughs> fighters specifically, right? It, it, yeah, these are rebel fighters specifically. It's called a Z ninety five headhunter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a it's a Shadows of the Empire thing, isn't it? Yeah, should have known that. Again, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, I'll give it to you anyway. So there you go. Uh, next one here. Can you name three of the four squadron leaders? Of the Rebel Alliance. No, oh, like by name? Yes, by name. <laughs> no. Adam? Not blue leader, red leader, green leader. No way, man. You, Adam. Like, you really shot for the moon. Yeah. <laughs> that's, Adam. Brad, that's it no de- moon. Depends on your definition of squadron leader, um, but you're going to have Wedge Antilles. Who's that? Wedge Antilles. You're going to have Lando Calrissian. Um, and how many are there? I'm going for four. I'm seeing four on Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Okay. So I've got those two. And then is it as simple as red leader, gold leader? But do you know their names? Oh. No, I do not. Porkins wasn't red leader, right? He was just Porkins. Porkins is Porkins, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's this. Can you, can you guys name any of the leaders? Well, I think Luke was a leader eventually, right? Uh, that's not what I'm seeing here, but I believe you. In any case, red leader is Graven Drees. Okay. Green leader is Arvel Sirend, KIA. He's killed in action. Blue leader is Anton Merrick. Gold leader is John Dutch Vander. You know who's benefiting from this, really? The Abe? listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you guys know way a lot. <laughs> so. I don't know, uh, man. Lando was commanding the... the, the... He was gold leader in, exactly. uh, in uh, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> so let's get, let's get real with I'm w- gonna Wikipedia. Give Adam that yeah. In any case, uh, second to last one here, thankfully. <laughs> We've all got one, I'm just saying, by that the way. That is true, yeah. <laughs> Can you name two other alternate names for the Death Star? Except for Project Stardust and Death Star. Two other names? Um, oh yeah, Stardust. Ha, ha, I got it. Um... The movie with Robert De Niro? Yeah, exactly. It's a great movie. I have a poster of it. Um, I like it. Star Death. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Close. Um, big beamy, big beamy thingy in the sky. I think that's one of one of the. Uh, that's actually Jawas the song closet. that they made for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wasn't it yeah. called a uh, Whoop? There it is. <laughs> yes. That is that is the other name. Uh, I would have I would accepted. Ultimate Weapon. Okay. First Death oh, Star. Or Death getting, Star 1. That, that's kind of generic, though. Yeah. That's, okay. uh, AKA's. Ultimate Power in the Universe. Yeah. Planet Doom. It was, Planet it was called, Doom. We have the ultimate power in the universe. There you go. Last one. Oh, good. Price is Right rules. <laughs> how much, how much, how many galactic credits did it cost to make the Death Star? Uh, they're gonna ask how many light bulbs are there. Um, let's see. 
how many galactic credits? Yeah, according to Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Okay, well, let's see. What's well, the exchange rate these is, days? Credit, credit, credits will be no good on Naboo, or on Tatooine, as we know from Watto. He doesn't take credits. but um, And also the hotel in, in The Shining. The hotel, yes. <laughs> uh, galactic credits. Do you know the exchange rate, Abe? Uh, I don't know the exchange rate. No. Uh, this question sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At, uh, 30 Maybe. billion credits. 3 billion credits, okay. It's 30, right. I said 30 oh, billion 30 billion credits, credits. okay, alright. Uh, Adam or Bradford? Uh, I'll say 1 trillion credits. 1 trillion credits, okay, alright. And then Adam? 6,300,995. Dollars? Credits. credits. Credit. 6 million credits? <laughs> well, Bradford is the closest. It, it tells me over 1 trillion credits, so Bradford, you get that one. And with that being said... <laughs> Bradford, you win this game. That's amazing. <laughs> By Price is Right rules. Come on down, Bradford. <laughs> You're playing for a brand new 265 Lance Beater. Oh. One dollar, Bob. Smoother than those other Lance Beaters, the new one. <laughs> and this will get you across the dunes in no time. You'll be looking good me. while doing it. <laughs> Get your best Tuscan Raider cap on because you'll be crossing around the sand dunes of Tatooine in no time. <laughs> have you be saying Utini like it's nothing? Aaron, this is well, how who you says Utini when you can be having yourself a Martini over at the <laughs> local cantina. This is, this is the answer to your calling question, Aaron. This is what you should be doing with your life: is recording terrible these- radio ads for new <laughs> Lance Peters. Yes, Star, Star Tours should call you up. Oh, I'd be, uh, yeah. I'd, I just sit there at the C-3PO spot in Star Tours just greeting everybody. <laughs> but, all right. Let's, uh, that was games. Thank you for that, Abe. Yeah. Let's move on now quickly to uh, Out Now Presents Out Now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week. And uh, a few things here. Uh, not much, actually, compared to last week. But uh, we have The Magnificent Seven. Uh, no. Rental's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sully. Uh, I like this. The acting. Uh, Storks. Didn't see it. It it was the best of the mediocre animated movies to come out this year. <laughs> that's that's my uh, general thought. Well, we haven't seen Boss Baby yet. Boss Baby's next year, Abe. Oh my bad. <laughs> um, Thirty One, the uh, new Rob Zombie film. Uh, I haven't seen it. And uh, Hitchcock Truffaut, the um, documentary on a it was an HBO documentary, I believe, but uh, didn't get a chance to see it yet. But uh, I've heard lots of good things. Uh, let's see, that was on now. Now let's go to Extremely Cool. These are uh, new movies on Netflix uh, that we can uh, make note of. Uh, let's see, I saw Barry is now on Netflix. The, uh, was there Obama thing? Obama biopic. Um, rats, a new documentary by Morgan Spurlock about the history of, of rats. Like the, and, like the various things. Morgan that Spurlock? Yeah. Does he eat one a day? <laughs> That's one documentary out of like the many he's made. Where yeah, he yeah so he's made like... <laughs> Seven of them, I think. <laughs> and lastly, there's a new series that I know like absolutely nothing about, but I'm intrigued by called The OA, um, which is uh, done by uh, Britt Marling and Zal Batmanglish. Um, they did, um, oh, what's it called? They did The Sound of Your Voice, this movie, and um, uh, Another Earth. Uh, but she was in Another Earth, and then he. What's the other film? The um, The East. The East, yes, The East. Okay. Um, and so now they have a new Netflix series uh, that they've made together, along with other actors. 
um, which some people are speculating that it actually might take place in the Stranger Things universe. <laughs> okay, which I don't know if that's true, but there's a lot of similarities, and it'd be amazing if Netflix is playing that kind of long game. That'd be interesting, yes. But yeah, I am curious to check it out. I would be even more interested if it ended up being somehow tied to Sound of My Voice. Sound of My Voice, yeah, that'd be. Yeah. Movie, I think it's sorely underrated. And that, and they did like they had planned to do like more of those movies. Like that was yeah. the thing. If it, it was, if it was successful, so. Mm. And I do like saying the director's name is all Batman Gleesh. That is a he has a very <laughs> cool name to say. Which one? He and Ben Zeitlin. Which one? Oh, it's all Batman. I mean, it has okay. Batman in the name, so I mean that's right there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, let's see. Now, next week's show. Next week, uh, well, we're getting to the you know the the uh, holiday season here with like lots of movies come out at the same time. But we have Passengers comes out, Assassin's Creed comes out, Sing comes out. Lots of stuff. So uh, Abe and I will be uh, will be doing what we can to kind of get a number of reviews in on uh, these various movies and talk about stuff. But uh, we'll see what happens. It might be a hodgepodge. It might be, yeah, it might be a hodgepodge, basically. Uh, so last thing we do here, what should people go and see in theaters right now, and what do you plan to see next? Start with Adam. Adam, what should people go and see in theaters right now? Uh, you should have a double feature with Rogue One. Uh, before you go to the theater, go ahead and watch Melancholia. And then no. go see Rogue One. You'll have a great time. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm still playing catch-up. I'm really hoping to try and see Moonlight uh, before it's gone. So that's really my next goal at this point. All right. Brad, what should people go and see in theaters right now? You should definitely see Rogue One. Um, it's just it's must-see on the big screen. If you haven't seen Arrival yet, do yourself a favor and see it. It's, it's an incredible sci-fi movie. Um, if you're lucky enough to still have Edge of Seventeen in theaters, please support it. Give it your money because it's an incredible coming-of-age drama, and Haley Steinfeld is, is fantastic in it. And go see Moonlight because it's going to be a huge awards contender, and it will surprise you with just how great of a movie it is. Um, and what I'm going to see next is uh, on Tuesday I'll be doing a double feature of La La Land and Jackie because they're finally close enough that I can go see them, even though I still have to drive out of my way a little bit to do so. That's a good double feature, though. That's uh... cool. Uh, Abe, how about you? I definitely recommend Rogue One as well. Um, I haven't really had a chance to catch up on a lot of things, so next, I definitely want to check out Mesh by the Sea, La La Land, and uh, uh, I've heard all right things about a sad screen. I don't want to get my hopes up, so we'll see what happens with that. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Anna's laughing in the background. <laughs> I, I know. So That's all I'm going to say about we've that. Had discussions about uh, video game movies. Um, <laughs> this podcast does come out after the embargo. Uh, what <laughs> What should people see now? Yeah, Rogue One for sure, La La Land for sure, and Manchester by the Sea did spread wider. So yeah, that's a that's a terrific set of films to see. And yeah, Abe, I'd love to talk to you about La La Land once you see it. So that'd be cool. uh, good to get in on. Let alone, you know, the many other films that have come out over the weeks that you may have missed. Collateral Beauty, I saw that. Collateral <laughs> Beauty, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and next, I will be seeing I, Daniel Blake, um, the film that won the Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival. So, uh, okay. Looking forward to checking that one out. Um, and with that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews and pretty much everything else that I do logged in there. You can also find me over writing at Screen Rant Daily, and you can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff over at walrusmoose.blackspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Hashtag K2SO is cooler than BB-8. Ooh, we'll see. Look at that hashtag goes. <laughs> Bradford Oman, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. Um, I write for Slash Film pretty much every day of the week. I'm the weekend editor and a staff writer. 
Um, and I review new episodes of Saturday Night Live every weekend, which is something I'm going to do here in a second for the last episode of the year, hosted by Casey Affleck. So, yeah, there you go. Adam Gentry. You can find me on twitter.com slash iltwinanarchist. All right. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe over on iTunes as well as on Audio Boom. You can also listen to us over at uh, Stitcher, HSWLD. Wait, did you say Stitcher? I said uh, Audio Boom. <laughs> HSWLD, uh, SoundCloud, Pod. and also Podomatic. You can uh, email us your thoughts on Rogue One and anything else we talked about this week at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. You can also interact with us over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or you can tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And, of course, there's our Tumblr page where you can find all the Rogue One-related GIFs you want and put them over at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. That's right. I said GIFs. All right. Um, <laughs> Brad, Adam, thank you very much for joining thank us today. Thank you guys both for being on. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, and happy holidays, guys. Of course. And, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's uh, Star Wars-focused episode of Out Now with Abe. Um, until next time when we talk about whatever we end up talking about, which is a lot of movies that are still coming out, that's going to do it. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. Can I hear that again? Okay, that's a sound clip now. The accent was a little off, but good try.